0: It works, I believe you.
1: Everyone and welcome to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm your chronicling assistant, Ranu,
2: and I'm your murder victim, Soup, <laughs> and
0: I'm your consulting detective, <laughs> writer and critic, Brandon O'Brien. Hi. Hello.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Welcome. It's good Welcome. to have you.
2: Thank you for having me. After weeks of me harassing Sue to be here, <laughs> that,
1: yes. sometimes that's all you need, really.
2: So this, this is this is my this is my friend Brandon. We met at uh, Big Bad Con, and mm-hmm. you stayed in my home for a couple days.
0: Yes, that happened. We spent several hours consuming Hatsune Miku music for like really? what what felt actually like a millennium but i i
2: i held i held him hostage and i i made him watch vocaloid videos for a really? great deal of time yeah yes. oh my god but time. my reward was good ramen so oh yep there you yep. go i'm yep. glad you
1: got something out of that <laughs> out of being held hostage
0: <laughs> so i'm here to harass you all about uh adaptations
1: Yes, because this week at stands for Adaptation Transformation, because we'll be talking about adaptations centered specifically around Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but before we get into that, um, what have we been up to?
2: <laughs> well, welcome to the end times, everybody. It has been oh my God. a good run. The Bay Area is uh, officially on shelter at home lockdown. So rippy dippy, everyone. It's been a good run.
3: <laughs> Farewell
2: and good night. Okay. So, I have been in a very weird position in the past couple of weeks because mm-hmm. this whole, you know, uh virus thing has been has been going around and more and more things are shutting down and becoming more difficult such as getting a job. But that also is kind of funny because I I don't go outside. So I'm kind of already doing the social distancing thing, which is, you know, the joke yeah. that every person and their mom is making on the internet right now. But yeah, it's been a very weird couple days, um, to be honest, mostly because my family is home all the time now. And that's like, weirder. <laughs> uh, this is not what it was like growing up as, as, a, as an Asian American immigrant. Um, I'm uh-huh. used to very long periods of time where they're just not present in the home. Um, right. I'm not sure what to do with all this newly formed emotional attachment. Um, I've never had to deal with it before.
1: <laughs> you guys are bonding, apparently. <laughs> uh, forcefully, well, well, right.
2: kind of. In, okay. in, the sa- in the same way that a, a stereotypical, uh, cishet couple that is married seems to hate each other for some unknown reason. That's my family right now we're just sort oh. of we're so, we're just sort of in the same house now when we're not used to really inhabiting the same temporal and physical space mm-hmm. like those are, those usually don't align mhm um but they are for the first time in i'm in a, uh, 23 years so <laughs> um that's that's interesting uh and i wish i could say that i have been more productive but i haven't really um, I have been streaming now and again on on Twitch now that I have too many video games to play. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess if you want to watch me play Grand Blue Fantasy or Grand Blue Fantasy versus, um, that's that's a thing. Um, in news that is not related to me because I've mostly been holed up at home playing video games and not doing the little work that I do have to do, which Brandon can attest to because I spent all day jabbering his ear off about inane <laughs> inane shit truly inane shit oh my god but in in not me news this is the first episode that we we have recorded since uh the end of gourmet hound gourmet hound is now has now finished its run congratulations
1: yeah very emotional
2: <laughs> i know i know i'm i'm very excited we might um we might very well revisit it on the podcast um oh that'd over. be nice um, Yeah. Because, you know, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very special thing for something creative to, like, come to a close like that. And yeah. we're all very lucky to be able to witness it. Um,
1: yeah. The, uh,
2: the author of the webcomic, Lee Hama, right now is putting together daily threads about the different arcs, and it's super cute, and you should read mm-hmm. them. Um, very, very fun. Very, very fun. Okay. So hey, I am incredibly so. curious all of a sudden. We're fans on the podcast here. Mm. What have you been up to, Renu?
1: I have uh, been playing more bravely default to bravely oh. second god oh my god you're, wait
2: you're I, actually continuing that game <laughs> yeah okay, listen
1: <laughs> I have to get to the end because they 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 teased me with. Uh, the fact that the Dark Knight character may or may not be actual Ring of Bell, we'll see, because he's hiding something very clearly. So now I'm like, oh my god, maybe it's my favorite boy. I don't know. Um, but I, since. <laughs> yeah.
2: I didn't get that far. <laughs> really? Wow. Uh, but no, you, but
1: you. No, you had to, because you said that you got to a specific boss fight where you need the Bravely Second mechanic, and oh. I haven't gotten to it yet. So you oh. must have been, like, not paying attention.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's probably true. Uh,
1: but yeah, so I, have, I wrote up some complaints that I have. <laughs>
2: okay, okay, I'd love to hear them.
1: <laughs> so one of the mechanics is, which is actually pretty cool, is that you get a floating bathhouse as your ship that you get to sail around in. And that's really cool because it looks neat. It's a giant bathhouse like what you would expect from Spirited Away. Uh, and only maybe smaller, and you, you get to, you know, go around the world in it, and you get free heals if you go into the bathhouse. The complaint that I have is that you get to control... You get to select whomever in your party as your controllable character, but the only person you get to access the bathhouse with bathhouse with is one of the male characters. So you have two female characters and two male characters in your party, the female bathhouses are right next to the male bathhouses and yet you can only access the male ones. And I'm just like, this is such okay. an inconvenience because that's I love running around mean. as a dia because she's my favorite out of the party.
2: I do love <laughs> Dia.
1: And I have to switch every time. So that's just a minor complaint.
2: You gotta get those murder Gers in.
1: <sighs> and the uh, the next thing that has been really bothering me, also again, very small though, is that They've shown me the opening CG three times (sighs) throughout the course of this game. And I don't know if they're like leading up to something kind of like how in the first game you had to replay certain parts of the game over and over again to like, you know, because it feeds into the narrative and there's a big payoff for it. I don't know if seeing the CG (laughs) three times is going to pay off for me, but right now it's really bothering me. (laughs) Woof. Yeah, so there's that, and um, every time the game hits like a a tense moment, or you feel like uh, the character that you're trying to rescue, Agnes, is in trouble, the drama is immediately undercut by some kind of joke, and I hate it. I cannot stand it. And Ah. I I don't know if this is because it's written more towards a younger audience, and they feel like things can never be tense for more than 0.2 seconds but my god it i cannot stand it like uh there's a specific point where um the skyhold which is the structure that Agnes is being toted around in explodes like you see it exploding in the sky because it's a, it's a giant castle that floats and it just it erupts in 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 fire and you're communicating her through this magic crystal and you're like oh my god are you okay
3: <laughs> we
1: saw the thing explode and she runs off screen from the from the crystal and then she comes back and she's like oh oh no my knitting supplies are all over the ground because of the explosion <laughs> i was screaming because <laughs> so this happens time and time again when or you think something really serious just happened, it's like like people might have died, or like just something like that, and it just gets undercut by something ju- oh, I hate it. I hate it. There's also speaking of Sherlock Holmes adaptations, there is a side quest that's specifically like a Sherlock Holmes parody and it's terrible and I hate it and I just wanna go away. Fair hmm. okay. uh, enough. Yeah, so... Some part of um, me is intensely
0: curious, the rest of me is upset.
1: It's No, yeah, but it's it's so poorly done that it's like, it's not even worth checking out. (laughs) Basically, the Sherlock Holmes character is divided between being a police officer or being a detective. And you kind of like help him out through this murder, quote unquote murder investigation, and try and help him decide on a path. And...
2: (laughs) It is dawning on me just how little of this game I remember.
1: I I, I didn't
2: even finish it, and I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) Like, there is possibly no greater indictment of that game than the fact that I just remember nothing from it.
0: I suspect I suspect you're both playing totally different games in general
1: at that
2: point. <laughs> <All> <laughs> we play different, it's been yeah. a different game. <laughs> I actually, I accessed the, the alternate universe version of Bravely oh my God. Bravely Second where it's I was gonna say good, but it really wasn't. Oh no
0: yeah. You're playing you're playing whatever That's version funny. of Bravely Second exists near the end of Bravely Default. Oh.
2: See, you I'm, found
0: the I- game there.
2: I am, I am playing the, uh, one of us is playing the version of Bravely Second that exists in the world of Bravely Second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, either way, I want (laughs) to, I have to reach the end,
2: though. I, I (laughs) heartily look forward to it because I always love when I hear you just complain about a video game. (laughs) I, I don't know why I was thinking about this recently, but like, that, that fucking entire rant about the Kingdom Hearts 3 section that, where everything just ended up being crabs still cracks me up to this very day. Uh,
1: yeah, we'll see if this game has a version of that. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm just really frustrated at the fact that it doesn't know what kind of tone it wants to take. And so that just bothers me because it felt like the first game had more of a clear direction on where it wanted to go. And this one is just like, fair hey, enough. we're on an adventure for kids. Let's go.
2: Fair enough, fair enough um have you been <sighs> up to anything else
1: uh related to you know squeenix and all that um you and i have been playing final fantasy 14 and that is my correct. First time playing yep. uh, and that's been interesting it is very much an mmo
2: it's very so much I'm... an mmo it's very yeah. much final fantasy
1: yes and i like final fantasy i don't like mmos so i'm Going to give it its fair shake and play it for the rest of the trial period and see how I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer class sucks. I don't like it. Okay. Um, All right. You
2: did seem to. I, okay. <laughs> this is this is a funny story. Um, yeah. So I was playing Palace of the Dead the other day, which is yeah. a which is yeah right. Um. It is a it is a dungeon sort of thing in Final Fantasy. It's essentially um like a rogue light mechanic where yeah. you start from level one and you yeah. Just grind through this dungeon, and yeah. at the end of, at, when you're done with it, it gives you experience points in the class that you used. I picked Archer because, for some inane reason, I thought it might upgrade to Bard. It did not. Archer is the most boring <laughs> class I've ever played in my life.
0: Was this the stream that I saw the other day?
2: This was the stream you saw the other day where I was just complaining about the class endlessly. <laughs> really? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the stream was really just soup in a
0: corner being frustrated by Arja. oh
1: my god i wish i had been there that's so funny
2: i like, also no got turned into a l- frog like eight times really
0: <laughs> i caught this stream and i saw you die be resurrected and die again i'm pretty sure that's what happened oh yeah i got god, carried
1: dude. um yeah i'm sure people out there who love playing that class are very offended right now which i apologize but it's well it's definitely not our cup of tea i guess the the problem is that archer
2: becomes bard and bard is infinitely more interesting
1: Mm, okay
2: as as a as a general rule none of the pre-30 classes are actually that fun except for white mage if you like to heal and thaumaturge because thaumaturge actually has access to their like interesting mechanic early
1: oh okay
2: but yes we've been playing final fantasy um Brandon, I don't know if you were here on the stream when I explained what what the concept of our of our free company slash guild is.
0: I don't think I caught that one.
2: Okay. So the the concept is that all of and this this shockingly was not my idea. The concept <laughs> of this guild is that we are all named after different types of ramen.
0: Uh, so
2: Okay. So I am Tsukemen, which is dipping ramen. Uh, Renu is, is shoyu ramen, which is soy sauce ramen. This was Renu's idea.
1: This was my idea. I was like, let's run a ramen shop, and we all should be named after different kinds of ramen. So we
2: started a, a guild called Ramenya, which means ramen store in Japanese. And our stated guild goal is to buy enough, uh, is to get enough money to buy land in the game, <laughs> and then use that land to set up a ramen shop. <laughs>
1: and so we're all culinarians is, as, a, as a requirement. <laughs> is
0: that a thing that you can really just do in game? That you can quit all the combat and decide to just open uh, a ramen, ramen. And shop
2: forever? The, the answer is, is pretty much yes. If you really wanted to you could probably just beeline only culinarian leveling for the next like 80 levels. Uh, I don't I have no idea if ramen is a thing you can make in the video game but I'm not prepared to look it up. <laughs>
0: So this That's could awesome. be So this could be the arc where your entire guild has saved up all of their money and their goal is finally <laughs> yeah. within their grasp and then they realize that ramen doesn't exist. They literally yeah, yeah. cannot conceive of and, it.
2: Well, so this no. is th- it's funny that you mentioned that though, because um I don't remember who said this, but somebody mentioned that what we're doing is essentially making Final Fantasy XIV into an Isekai anime. <laughs> Where for so- somehow we managed to make it into a slice of life anime where instead of doing the saving the world as our main shtick, we're doing it mostly just to keep the ramen thing going. Yeah.
1: Saving the world is-, is just a means to an end. Yep.
0: Right. Every time you save someone's life and they thank you, you go, no, I didn't do it for you. <laughs> I did it, and you turn very wistfully and you form a fist and close your eyes the, as, you, as the sun rises in the distance. And you whisper, For the ramen.
2: For
3: the
0: ramen.
2: <laughs> it's ex- like... Nice. There's a decent chance that the food item itself does not exist in the video game. And in that case, we will we'll have to petition Squeenix uh, <laughs> and invent it ourselves or compromise <laughs> It will be extremely Dr. Stone. Don't worry about it. I, I already know how this is going to end
0: one way or the other. Either you're going to petition Squeenix and suddenly there's going to be a cup noodle sponsorship in 40.
2: <gasps> you're mm-hmm. right.
0: <laughs> or your petition will fail and the next time I have this conversation with you, I'll discover you're selling raw fruit. <laughs> no! Oh no. It's like the fruit, the fruit. They're like everything you sell hasn't even hit their ripeness yet. You're just pulling things off trees before they blossom, <laughs> and just selling them as fruit. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Oh my God. Best of luck yeah. to you and your yeah.
0: culinary endeavors.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. We'll invite you to our shop when it
2: opens. Yes. <laughs> nah, I'm good.
0: Uh... Nah, I'm good. <laughs> we- you can, you can see. I love digitally you and I respect
2: your goals through our stream.
0: I love you and I respect your goals, but I'm fine. <laughs>
2: fair, nah, enough. Good. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Well, uh, so that's exciting. I I am streaming yeah. some of that sometimes on on the Twitch. I'm sure Renu is too. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. So uh, I don't know. Just like keep keeping keep an eye out, keeping an ear out. Um, mm-hmm. anything else that you have been up to specifically, Renu? Um uh,
1: I mean that's that's mostly it. I've um, I wa oh I watched a season of Samurai Cat, which is on Amazon Prime. And that's is the that show is that the show about the
2: the samurai that like protects a cat?
1: <laughs> yes, and it's great. It's okay. It's something like like you could just turn your brain off and enjoy the fact that there's a very grumpy samurai who the actor is the same actor who plays the live action version of Kiryu in the movie. The oh Yakuza my movie. god! <laughs> <laughs> and he protects this cat, this white cat with green eyes, and it's very cute. It's just a very like super light watch just. You know, just enjoy it for the fact that it has a grumpy samurai and a cute cat, and that's it.
2: <laughs> All right. <laughs> well what have you been up to, Brandon?
1: Um
0: well, in these dark and plague ridden times of ours <laughs> Uh, as as the the renowned philosopher Cardi B has said Coronavirus, Uh coronavirus. This shit is real. So I've been hunkered down as as much as possible, trying to get as much work done. Like I was literally trying to do work when soup bombarded me with (laughs) the weirdest (laughs) videos in the world today. Really? Okay, (laughs) hang on. I think I natively encountered three different remixes of Cruel Angel's Thesis (laughs) in the last six hours. Out in Oh my freaking
1: god! He's been linking that to me too. to our group, rather.
0: I've I've (laughs) seen people in hazmat suits dancing in quadrangles by themselves. (laughs) I saw two naked men become a bike and chase after a a tractor, only to blow the tractor (laughs) up (laughs) with with the weirdest (laughs) of laser beams that I will not fully describe. Um, But outside of that, most of my time uh, has been spent watching the only two things that ever fully consume my uh waking moments whenever I'm trying to watch TV. Uh which is Kamen Rider and Super Sentai. Yeah. Uh I am actually the co-host of a podcast called Righteous Kicks. Uh where we where uh myself and another writer friend of mine named Iori Kusano watch through entire series of Kamen Rider. Uh we are currently on a mental health hiatus, but uh, while I've been hunkering down during these the times of Corona, uh I've been keeping up with uh Kamen Rider Zero One, which is the series that is presently airing in Japan. It's wild, it will make you hate capitalism, it will make you not only want <laughs> to eat the rich, but it will make you want to eat the rich raw. Hell oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get it. <laughs> um The premise for those who are interested in watching something right now is That a comedian inherits his grandfather's stake in a tech company that makes androids uh, only to discover that there is a virus that affects those individual androids that persuades them to attack humans. And only the president of the company is equipped to attempt to to stave off that attack by transforming into the titular Kamen Rider Zero One. And that brings with it a great deal of conflicts, not only physical, but capitalist in nature. Um, And it's very wild, and I enjoy it a lot. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Also, a new Super Sentai series recently started uh, called Machine Sentai Kirameja, which Pico Taro is in. If anybody wants to see more... Pen pineapple pen goodness randomly in the middle of their days, which is even wilder to explain something about uh, a planet made of sentient stones, um, that is destroyed by a kingdom that hates all things that are beautiful, and that its princess tra- the princess of that destroyed world travels to Earth to find. Uh, five uh, teenagers with Kira mentality to equip them with the ability to stave off that attack when it comes to Earth. It's very pretty. It's very beautiful. It's actually a lot of fun so far. I've only seen the mm. first two, the first two and a half episodes. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of cool if you're looking for like something purely simple and silly to kind of enjoy. It's actually kind of fun. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Also on the Kamen Rider front, I would like to mention because it's typically been it's historically been very hard in the west to get original kamen rider in ways that are not illegal but a very interesting thing happened today at the time of recording which is Ooh. um an online streaming service called Pluto TV teamed up with Shout Factory the North American company that has the rights to original super sentai to produce a new television a uh, new streaming station called Toku Shoutsu. Yes, it's a weird name, but it works. Um,
1: I get it. (laughs) Yes,
0: Valid. Valid. Which um, streams 24-hour tokusatsu. Original Ultraman, original Super Sentai, uh, original kaiju movies. And for the first time legally available in North America, the original Kamen Rider series from 1971. So if you're looking for things to watch while you're sequestered in your homes... Practicing Responsible Social Distancing, I recommend 90 hmm. episodes of Takeshi Hongo <laughs> performing the Rider Scissor on monsters and cracking their skulls open with stones. Um, So yeah, that's a thing that if, you're, if you've if you never heard of Kamen Rider before, this is your opportunity to watch the most bonkers thing that you've ever you will ever discover and I thoroughly recommend yeah,
1: it. And you can support the original creators this way too, which is awesome. Yeah, you're supporting
0: Fucking the original. Finally. You're supporting the original creators and you're letting the producer know. Like one of the toei producers of the present era of Kamen Rider literally did an entire spot on Tokusheltsu's YouTube about Aww. How they are impressed that there is a North American audience at all. And if we can continue Aww. supporting this, it means that they can give us the rest. And you don't tell, we can watch all of this weirdness together legally. <laughs> and I don't need to tell people that they need to, like, go on sketchy websites to watch my favorite <laughs> show. I really like that to happen.
2: Uh... <laughs> don't we know the feeling? Don't, don't we? we yeah. know the feeling. See, oh my god. It's, it- it really does feel like that that macroed image of Bernie Sanders writing on a on a little <laughs> whiteboard and it just says, I'm trying to help you motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right now
2: I am asking you to watch this fucking TV show. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> I am asking you to watch Common Writer.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna make that meme sometime this week, you know. <laughs> you so, should yeah. make that your header. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> good shit. So that's me all coming right for the next
2: three months or so. That's awesome! Fucking hell yeah! Yeah, you want to talk about Sherlock Holmes?
1: Heck yeah, dude!
2: I would like that a lot. Sherlock Holmes. When
0: I pitched this idea to you, it was because I yes. was watching a very terrible thing that we will get to eventually, <laughs> 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 and we will have. L- I'm
1: so ready, dude! <laughs> oh
0: god, we will have so many spirited conversations about this dog shit train wreck of an anime
2: But don't you, when, love anime?
0: Don't you? so mm-hmm. perfect all of the time <laughs> when i was watching that it inspired in me the question of what an adaptation is supposed to do like what mm-hmm. what we're supposed to accomplish when we take something and we adapt it for a present space or for a different kind of theme or different kind of cultural mm-hmm. context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like on its, on its face, it's very easy to just take a thing, put that thing somewhere else, and say that you've changed it. It takes a great deal more critical awareness to me in terms of like asking relevant questions about what this work is supposed to do and what people are supposed to get from it when you attempt to process it through a different lens. And Sherlock Holmes is one of the most vivid examples of that because it is the most adapted character in the Western canon. was one of the first characters to ever enter the public domain that anybody ever actually cared about. For context, the detective in Edgar Allan Poe's Murders in the Rue Morgue is also in the public domain and has never been adapted, as far as I know. But Sherlock Holmes Yet. has been done forever. <laughs> we... Somebody got the brilliant idea to, to adapt Arsene Lupin. And, like, yeah. he... Like, his original character has very few stories in general in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. Um, And that idea of what makes a character um, valuable with that kind of longevity and therefore what you're supposed to do with that character are often very like different things mentally. We like characters mm-hmm. because they're cool and they're weird and they're eccentric and there are so many possibilities with them. And then we- when we attempt to exhibit those possibilities, we tend to do Either batshit weirdness, more of (laughs) the same, or if you're very, very thoughtful, you get to pick one very meaningful question about that character. And you get Mm -hmm. to do very interesting things about that new perspective that you've given it.
3: Mm Right.
0: And there are some very good Sherlock Holmes adaptations that I really like for doing that, for doing things like that. And as I was watching this anime (laughs) called Kabuki chill Sherlock.
1: Oh boy, <laughs> the call outs begin. <laughs> I
0: couldn't help but think that uh, think about the better Sherlock Holmes adaptations that I've watched, even just as recently, that I that one I wish more people like genuinely appreciated for the things that they did. Because one of them, Elementary, is actually very well watched, but we don't talk enough about all of the things that it does very critically and the two i think that they give very good insight into what it means to change an original character an original concept for the purposes of adaptation Mm -hmm. so i i guess i just wanted to visit some of those things and it means i think we need to start with the bad one first (laughs) Oh,
1: are we starting okay. with okay? Nah, right. I
0: I don't want to. I don't want to end with the bad. I don't want to end with this dog mask. No, uh, hang
2: on. That's that's when, fair. That's fair. When you say bad one, you could mean multiple of these things that we have discussed.
0: I mean, there is one that I consider bad, but it's really just painfully met in the way that a uh, Sherlock Holmes story should be met. But it's also bad. But Very it's well. not as bad <laughs> as Kabuki Joe Sherlock. Oh my god.
2: (laughs) Let us proceed, then.
0: So, Kabukicho Sherlock is set in the east side of Shinjuku, in Kabukicho, where Dr. John H. Watson has traveled presumably a very long and arduous road to find the titular Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And discovers him in this row house in Kabukicho that is populated only by detectives. Um, it's run by Mrs. Hudson, mm-hmm. who, and I, I'm trying to be particularly careful about this because the show is bad about these things. Um.
2: Ah, uh, hold on. I think I can see where this is going. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mrs. Hudson is a mama-san Ah, <laughs> uh, Japan. <laughs> Mm, yeah mm,
2: yeah yeah like
1: like everything that you imagine a mama son to be is mrs hudson in this adaptation
2: you know i got the distinct impression that we were getting less of these oh no oh no but apparently
0: not um this is this this is the very this is this is the very least bad thing you're going to encounter so far be prepared we are on our right
2: (laughs) i'm i'm girding right now the very
0: first case that we encounter in this story is that James Moriarty's sister has been murdered. Mind you Moriarty's a good guy here. Let's let's get that out of the way. We meet James Moriarty very early and he's a teenage boy who is very like impressed uh with Sherlock and their friends, to some extent. Also Sherlock uh likes rakugo and thinks that he's good at it and he's not. Uh, <laughs> And, like, this whole thing is also how, like, this is a Sherlock Holmes story. The story of a misanthropic detective being thrust into very challenging cases and solving them all on his own with curious bursts of deductive power that no one else can grasp, which is made interesting by the fact that he's surrounded by otherwise very talented detectives as well. Mary Morstan is literally a detective in this row house, uh, Mm-hmm. Who's of like who's like sixteen or seventeen, but still. Yes. There are other characters like Fiyuto Kyogoku and another detective whose name totally escapes me, Michelle something, who are all very interesting, well written, powerful, deductive minds in their own right. But Sherlock will just bumble in at some point.
1: Do b- and Raku go his way. Do
0: bad Raku. <laughs> do bad Raku go right in front of a criminal <laughs> and watch him get arrested. Yeah. And those things would be interesting. Like, it's actually kind of intriguing to view the regular mystery story trope of the detective telling everybody that this is how it happened through the art form of rakugo. should be interesting. Right. But one, Sherlock is so bad at it. Yeah. And two, the show itself does not care does not care about that element of him whatsoever. It's just a quirk that they attach to Sherlock because they think that Sherlock deserves quirks.
1: So, yeah. so
0: very quickly, you stop even being really interested in Sherlock as a character. You're just, interesting in, you're just interested in the puzzles now. And some of those cases are actually kind of interesting and, and cool. Mm. And then it gets worse. <laughs> then you realize that the show just doesn't care about its characters overall because it writes the worst possible characters. And by this, content warning for the listeners, lots and lots and lots of transphobia. Painful amounts of transphobia. In the first ten minutes of episode one of Kabuki Show Sherlock, we discover uh, a potential uh, suspect and write him off almost immediately because he has a boyfriend. So So there's lots of uh pure homophobia as well several times in a row there are visual gags about how much mrs hudson has a crush on watson and how yeah. utterly repulsed he is by this oh
2: boy
1: yeah to the There's
0: point a where lot of that. to the point where that visual gag is actually built into the op of the entire anime
1: meanwhile watson has like a crush on mary morston teenage mary morston and it's weird
2: okay all right, yep. all right, Japan. Yep, 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 yep. Um, Kyo Goku
0: has like this passionate infatuation for another trans character, whose name, when we meet her, totally escapes me now all of a sudden. But like, the show never actually really clearly delineates whether she and all of her friends are escorts or not. So. Some level, so like the original level of that weirdness is still kind of lost on us, and then we discover mm. that she's Jack the Ripper,
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that James Mori- <laughs> that James Moriarty's <laughs> father hired her to kill James.
3: Okay.
0: <laughs> that she narrowly missed James. And killed and found her sister, found his sister instead, and killed her because it's implied that she was
2: intersex the entire time. Huh? <laughs> okay, so when you, okay, so when we originally we're talking about, you know, um logistical stuff and we had a brief we had a brief discussion about what this was. But I was essentially tuned out for this entire conversation um at the time because uh I had just woken up and I was in very much a fugue state. Immediately mm-hmm. after that, I went back to sleep for like 10 more hours. Yes. Um <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs>
1: You're awake now.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes, My
2: eyes are open!
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is three episodes worth of whole story. Oh, boy.
1: I didn't even reach that part. I had stopped watching Oh all of this.
0: (laughs) I I need to know what y'all does do with y'all brains. That (laughs) y'all encounter bad shit like this and go, You know what? I am (laughs) done. I don't need to consume this media anymore because there's a part of my brain that goes, nah. I need to endure this. I've started well, it. I need to finish it and form whole thoughts. What if something changes later on that undoes my entire critique? So now I'm trapped. In the only 20 something in the only 20 something episode anime of this entire season when better stories are getting 12s.
1: I can't believe that it went on this long. Like I legit I... thought that it would only be twelve episodes. I was like, "There's no way that they would carry it longer than
2: that." <laughs> okay, I will. I will say this: Japan loves Sherlock Holmes.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, I mean, I will... yeah,
0: I'd quicker, I'd quicker rather they
2: gave me three
0: times the regular recommended dose. A case closed. That this
2: bullshit. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's that's
2: how much case closed exists though yes. to be fair. I'm just quick aside, like no, I'm... Hold on. quick quick aside. Have I ever told you about uh the interview that the the creator of case closed gave about how much no. time has passed in the story? No. Weeks, 6 months.
1: I believe it.
0: <gasps> I believe it. I the
1: believe
2: entirety it. of Case Closed takes place in about 6 months.
1: But seasons change. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well sometimes people aren't good at time.
1: They have holidays.
2: And... No you know why you know why I believe it's six months?
0: Because I believe their I believe that they think their process is the act of creating individual cases of the week that are so disconnected from the main story that they can be watched in any order, means that it literally does not matter what day of the year it is.
2: I mean, you're you're not wrong, and in a sense that, and this is kind of funny, but in a sense that is kind of very Sherlock Holmes.
0: I mean, yeah, it's like in the it's in the pure spirit of Sherlock Holmes, right? But
1: they'd have to have multiple cases per day. To...
2: Yeah, somebody just... mathed it out, and it was like they would have to do like one case every day, and I think some days like two or three.
0: What? Yeah. <laughs> I also believe that. I also believe that they live in a universe where weather is just extremely volatile. (laughs) Where Sakura petals are falling in August, and you just gotta deal (laughs) with it.
2: Listen, the the greatest mystery is how we have gone on for this long, and there is still no progression in the story. Once, once, once he can find it. Once Detective Conan can solve that mystery, he'll be free.
0: No, it's just it's just moving on. Um, Ash standard time. It's moving on Satoshi standard time.
2: Right, right. No, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. (laughs) We are still
0: in the absolute twilight of all of his years.
2: (laughs) He's still he's still like twelve years old. (laughs) So yeah.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Kabukucho Sherlock has 22 episodes
1: Yes people are still it does
0: People are still Watching it in scare quotes It's still being consumed Poisonously Oh my god <laughs> And I'm like What is this show supposed to do? What is it supposed to ask? And I have mm. And I have a very peculiar theory about it Which means that I have to spoil Everything that happens after the massive transphobia
2: don't worry, okay. we're a spoiler, not friendly podcast. Great, <laughs>
0: great. Any listeners who planned on watching Kabuki show Sherlock, do you know that there's Kamen Rider?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs>
0: um. Right, so, upon James Moriarty discovering that he was about to be murdered by the person who killed his sister because his father mm-hmm. asked him to be executed. Mm-hmm. James Moriarty asks Sherlock Holmes permission to kill his assassin and Sherlock Holmes gives it to him. He then is on the run but is captured by police and spends some manner of weeks in prison for murder. We see random glimpses of his life in prison where he's getting bullied by prisoners much more menacing than he is. Only to no longer be bullied by those same criminals all of a sudden with no explanation. And then there's a prison break, and James Moriarty reappears at the Row House as if nothing has happened and no one asks him any questions about the prison break that is on the news live as he appears in the in the building.
1: Coinky dink. Pure Pure
0: coincidence. coincidence. (laughs) They're just glad to have their friend back.
1: Oh my god, Moriarty,
0: you're back. What immediately follows is all of the other escapees will attempt to commit a a rather grave crime, be investigated, be caught by one of the detectives. And then James Moriarty will appear, sometimes very, very suddenly, and attempt to talk these criminals out of their criminal activities. And those criminals will respond by quoting a string of random digits and and then attempting suicide. And everyone is like, "What the, Uh uh, the what fuck is taking place?"
1: Excuse. Yeah,
0: (laughs) this is big plenty. All of this time, um, Moriarty is also acting as the advisor to the re-election, the the mayoral re-election campaign of his father, Sebastian Moran, as if nothing happened between those two. (sighs) Um, we get some mild backstory about how. Important the relationship between James and his sister was, and uh, some implication that something has gravely changed in him since his sister was murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, More more criminals who have broken out do more weird things and then shout digits at Sherlock Holmes that die. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Then Sherlock has an epiphany. These numbers aren't random at all. They're the same numbers. All of these people have been programmed by someone. Why? I don't know. All of these crimes seem to be randomly disconnected from each other, but it's still a mystery. I'm still going to solve it. During an event um, for Sebastian Moran's re-election campaign, a bomber, a serial bomber, who has also escaped from prison, announces that he's going to commit a random terrorist attack sometime during that event. And after several minutes of Sherlock frantically attempting to prevent it from happening, he stops and kind of gives up. Uh. And he calls Moriarty and asks him to meet him at a balcony outside of the stadium, where he very calmly tells Moriarty, you know, I know that this is all you. I know that you're responsible oh. for this whole thing. Um, Can I just very kindly ask you to stop? This is a lot.
1: <laughs> this is kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is
0: kind of plenty. Maybe we can cool it. And that's when Moriarty has this very weirdly impassioned speech about how he was always broken and his father never appreciated him in his broken state, but his sister always did. that That always kind of conditioned him to try to behave and figure out how to be a productive member of society. But now that she's dead, fuck all that shit. And he makes this really bad analogy that every person is a teapot filled with good things that make them happy <laughs> and productive members of society. But his teapot is broken. Oh. And his sister always used to keep forcing good things in anyway. And that was how he remained sane and normal. But now that she's not there to do those things, he's just gonna keep breaking shit. And he comes to the similar conclusion about Sherlock Holmes and besides... Well, I just need to figure out who to kill, so you'll be a broken teapot like me, and we can go on murder sprees together. Which is also a like- lot.
1: <laughs> this is like the Hannibal TV series, but <laughs> it
0: works. yeah, yeah, it's 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 similarly a, similarly a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Moriarty proceeds to do things like murder the top investor in his father's reelection campaign. And then murder, murder his father's uh, housekeeper and then murder his father. Kidnap Mary's sister, Lucy, and tell Mary that if she wants to see her sister again, she has to kill Watson in cold blood and provide mm. pictures.
1: Spicy. Because he likes her. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs>
0: And when that doesn't work, because Watson has the brilliant idea, you know, if we put more than blood in this picture, it will look like I've bled out, but it's really not my blood. And Mary decides to give her <sighs> blood. It's like, what the fuck? What, Sister, Kay. stop. Girl, please. It's
1: not, you wouldn't be able to tell from a photograph if it's animal versus human blood.
0: We wouldn't be right? able to tell if we were just... His diluted blood. It's like, oh my god! Okay, that's big plenty. Um, when he realizes that, well, before we even get to that point, Watson, while half dead, um, goes undercover with the police, trying to figure out Moriarty's whereabouts. Um, they eventually corner him in a building where he and the serial bomber have planned another terrorist attack. Turns out the terrorist attack is the whole building. Everything is bombs. That chair? A bomb. That doorknob? A bomb. They try to <laughs> try to weld a uh, steel door open only to realize that the uh, water hose attached to the wall is filled with kerosene instead of water and they all die. A helicopter tries to snipe Moriarty from uh, several buildings away and Moriarty sends drones with bombs attached to blow up the helicopter. It's a lot is happening.
2: Huh? Bro. Wait. Huh? What? Huh? A lot is happening. And Brandon, the- I want I want you to know that the other day I was forced to watch a movie where a serial murder <laughs> rapist <laughs> gets struck by lightning and his soul gets uploaded into a drone, which he uses to home wreck his ex girlfriend's life. Um, <laughs> this sounds somehow more than that. <laughs> I didn't know the Invisible
0: Man already had a sequel. (laughs) Right, so while this building is doing the most, uh, (laughs) Holmes and Watson go upstairs to meet Moriarty and they're asking him very kindly to stop what he's doing because this is a lot. (laughs) And Moriarty decides, you know, now that you're both here, this is a brilliant opportunity for me to just shoot Watson and get it over with myself.
1: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> Sherlock gets in between Moriarty and Watson, and James James Moriarty starts to cry. Why the fuck are you ruining this? I'm doing this for you, so we can be murderers together. Please get out of my way.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Senpai, do a murder with me.
0: And then Moriarty has this brilliant idea. Wait. What if Watson isn't the person that made Sherlock a good person? What if the person who made Sherlock a good person was me? And then he commits suicide. Uh... But no one can find his body. Uh, Of course. Sherlock responds to this by never wearing clothes again. (laughs) (laughs) as one does (laughs) their big idea of sherlock holmes being Uh... an emotionally broken man is he no longer wears clothes he eats actual food but only single portions he likes lotion a lot and his rakugo bit where a younger person and an older person talk about uh crimes in the area is now just this younger person asking where Oji-Shan has gone?
3: Oh
0: man! I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing, and I'm so. And the thing about it is, so we've ne- we haven't even mentioned Irene Adler this entire series because Irene is strangely secondary. She's still very competent and aware and critical and thoughtful the entire time that she's here, but she's only here for like four or five episodes total, if I recall, mm-hmm. and like. These stories are never as intense as every single adaptation constantly revisiting in Bohemia very intensely as an opportunity to just sex up some woman that we're never going to see again. So she's just supposed to be smart and thoughtful, which is very good, Mm -hmm. but it also means that we very barely see her. But there is this moment when she comes back all the way to make sure that Sherlock Holmes is okay and there is this frame of Sherlock Holmes covered in lotion. After getting up from the <laughs> couch and walking away from her, slipping on a puddle of lotion underneath his feet, uh-huh. and his bare ass waving in Irene Adler's face <laughs> as she sighs dejectedly and considers whether she wants to leave.
2: Pathetic.
0: But that's not all. Ooh. Um, Irene proceeds to tell Sherlock about the other case that she's working right now, which, inclu- which involves one of the other remaining prison escapees. And the mere fact that he is a prison escapee convinces Sherlock that Moriarty is still alive. And that's the only reason why he takes the case. But he doesn't put on clothes to take it. Um, <laughs> So that becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. That leads to Irene Adler needing to put suspenders on a pair of underwear just so he can leave the house. Mm-hmm. And all is well. He's not at his best mental capacity still but at least he can fake it by kidnapping his fellow detectives and tying them up and putting them in dumpsters so he can take their deductions as his own and he finally
1: wait what yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah. yeah. he ties up a whole man ties up a whole fella and just puts him in a garbage bag and leaves
1: oh my god okay Okay. sure he's emotionally broken but okay like you know just and he's finally found
0: this guy and he's hot on the trail of this escapee meanwhile Watson has responded to watching Moriarty jump off a building by going, you know what? This is my fault. I'm leaving. Uh. And Irene Adler goes all the way back to find him and tells him that he's the only person that made sure that uh, Sherlock was sane during this entire season. And like, he needs Watson to save his life. Very dejected and broken down, he decides, yes, I'm going to find Sherlock Holmes. and I'm going to save his life like he's saved mine so many times. And he turns to kabuki Cho and looks for Sherlock. Irene literally gives Watson a ping on his phone of where Sherlock is at that present moment. And, like, they go all the way to, like, this uh, waste facility on the other side of kabuki Cho where Sherlock has just finally caught this prison escapee. And Watson climbs a wall of garbage. And stumbles down mm-hmm. said wall of garbage to tell Sherlock, I've come all the way to find you. We can fix this. We can find out what's happened to Moriarty. Wait, Sherlock, what are you doing with that bloody knife in your hand? Ugh. Sherlock Holmes has just killed a man. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes has just killed a man and is very giddy about it. Oh, no. hmm. Meanwhile, a woman that the prisoner escapee had previously kidnapped is still tied up in the waste facility. Watching them all, eager-eyed to find out whether she's going to die. The show never tells us. We never encounter that woman again. Let's wait for episode 23 when we figure out what's the plight of this woman. Is Sherlock now a serial killer? Are we ever going to save this woman's life? Does this woman ever matter again? How do we resolve this arc in two episodes? Is this series going to have another season? Why is this series going to have another season? This series is going to have another (laughs) season, isn't it?
1: I guess guess we're all caught up, (laughs) eh? (laughs)
2: Wowie. <laughs> and oh, that's Kabuki Sherlock. Hmm. Why? What
0: was this supposed to do? What was it supposed to answer for us?
1: Right, like, as an adaptation, what was it supposed to contribute to, yeah. you know, the many approaches that we've well, had to
2: Sherlock? So, I mean, the most baffling part of this, of course, is that it's not even like what one might think of like a mediocre adaptation of anything, right? Where it's not just, Okay, we have tried to one to one adapt this, and it is bland because we didn't consider what it might look like in in motion. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's just all everything you just described. I'm I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around like every single like everything that you mentioned is so it's so insoluble. Yep,
1: like. <sighs> Like, based on the title, I guess, alone, you would think, like, oh, it's it's Sherlock, but it he lives in Kabukicho, like, okay? Right, uh, right, But then at that point, it doesn't necessarily, the show, at least from what I watched, doesn't necessarily teach you a whole lot about Kabukicho's culture, and, you know, it just happens to take place in, like, a row house, and, and you get to see a lot of that establishment, speci- specifically, and you get to see them run around Kabukicho, but otherwise, like, it doesn't explore like like i feel like there's so many interesting themes that you could go with in terms of like placing this kind of character in this kind of environment and you could go several directions with it and they went none of them (laughs) yeah they went in none of them (laughs)
0: because because the show makes so many weird assumptions about kabuki Cho as a location as well it tries to make it seem weird and eccentric and the kind of place where these strange characters would react but it also tries very hard to make it seem like a slum where no good people live.
1: Yeah, and and the fact that they have these other detectives there is also an interesting premise where it's like, oh, you get to see Sherlock, you know, compete with these other detectives and maybe they get to show off all of their deductive prowess and...
0: Yeah, and th-
1: especially because
0: <laughs> <it> just- <laughs> some of those characters are also very interesting as well.
1: Exactly, and and yet it just boils down to Sherlock solving it with Bad Rakugo, and it just kind of drains any excitement that you would have otherwise for it. Yeah,
0: like, the- especially when it comes to a certain series of characters. Mm-hmm. For you, Tokyo Goku, I kind of have very strange attachments to, because... He seems very straight-laced and the kind of, like, push-his-glasses-up-his-nose-bridge up, the, uh, up his nose bridge, detective right, that yeah. you would typically become very easily annoyed by in a story like this. Right. But he then turns out to be very um, eccentric and have these very peculiar ideas of masculinity that are kind of strange when paired with a character like him mm-hmm. that I kind of like, but I'm not really attached to him. Sure. There's uh Michelle Belmont, who I'm pretty sure is the name of a character a f- uh, uh, a character from another public domain thing, but I can't register what who is interesting to me because he's a down on his luck former detective that really does not want to be here and does not care about the day to day burdens of everybody else but is very good at his job and when asked to do his job like a cop will do his job like a cop There's Kobayashi Torataro, who I like very much because. He's just a reformed thug with li- living by thug rules, and mm-hmm. has like the unabashed respect of people that no one else likes. Something about just seeing him in motion is always very interesting because even when he's not on a case, he's actually often one of the most interesting characters in a singular episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Morstan sisters, who are weirdly close to the yakuza. And weirdly Mm -hmm. close to, like, the sumo culture in Kabuki-cho. And everybody just likes them because they're good siblings and therefore good people. There's an (laughs) entire episode (laughs) where the peculiarities of a case lead um, Lucy to borrow money from the Yakuza to send Mary to school. And then essentially ends up giving the money away as an act of goodwill to somebody else. Knowing that that means that she is doubly in debt to the Yakuza and she does it gladly. And like, those are interesting character moments. Why are they secondary in a show where Sherlock Holmes is adult?
1: Yeah, like it feels like all these characters are just way more interesting than Sherlock himself. And Sherlock is the one who takes up the most screen time, along with Watson. And I'm not particularly interested in Watson either. I mean this takes a very this takes a
0: very mediocre Sherlock adaptation approach to Watson, which is Watson is just Holmes biographer. We're not supposed to care about him. Which is improper. Mm-hmm. We get attached yeah. because we care about Watson's perspective in this space.
1: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. But also so like everything about Sherlock Holmes in the abstract on paper is supposed to be really interesting. Why Rakugo? Why is he in Kabukicho for rakugo? What happened in his rakugo career? Is the, is this particular rakugoka that he continually ad- admires his former teacher or somebody he wants to be his teacher? Um, what's his relationship with Moriarty like? Where did that come from? Why is he staying here if he doesn't like any of these people, and it's presumed that he doesn't pay for anything? Um, what's happening? And then you discover all of those <laughs> things very suddenly. He moved, okay. to Kabuki- he moved to Kabukicho just to learn Rakugo because he thought Rakugo was cool. He studied for less than a year. And just like the rest of us already know, he was shit at it. Got kicked out by his master. He met Moriarty while drunkenly repeating Koheji the Living in uh, an abandoned children's park. And Moriarty tells him to be a detective, and he's like, "Well, I'm good at it, so I guess I will." And that's it. That's all. Okay, cool. That's not much. That's that's a short <laughs> film's worth of valuable information. I don't care. Give me reasons to be attached to him. Give me th- right. give me things that he's consistently and eccentric about in ways that are valuable. Because right. they try to make Rakugo seem like that thing, and instead of making mm-hmm. it seem like he has. Peculiarities that will put him in precarious situations. It makes him seem like an easily manipulable dolt. Mm-hmm. He takes a case from his bu- from his brother Mycroft because his brother offers to pay him in a ticket to Rakugo. That's uh-huh. it. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all. What? Why?
3: <sighs>
0: that could have been anything else,
2: right? I. Th- hmm. So I think I'm. I think I'm beginning to like triangulate exactly why this feels so weird to me. Okay. Because I'm thinking about it, and when you initially describe it, and when you think about Kabukicho as a location, you generally Mm -hmm. do not think of, like, a very modern-day Japan. Like, obviously, Kabukicho still exists in Japan, Mm -hmm. but to Mm -hmm. me, it's a very, like, 20th century idea, right? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the idea of, you know, The Showa period, Mm -hmm. it is the idea of... And this might be because of the cultural touchstones that I have surrounding Mm -hmm. it, right? Like, obviously, like, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju Mm -hmm. and the Yakuza Mm -hmm. series that specifically Mm -hmm. centers around, you know, Kamurocho, which is just Kabuki-cho under Mm -hmm. a different name. Um, It's literally one-to-one the same fucking place. Mm -hmm. Um, But in, like, the 90s, right? And those mm-hmm. are very specific time periods, very specific touchstones for Kabuki-cho as, as an entity to exist in. As a modern mm-hmm. entity, it's a historical sort of idea of what, mm-hmm. what a red light district was in the 20th century, right? Right. And I think that that has the potential to be interesting, right? Right. And I think that when you hear Kabuki-cho Sherlock that's the image that you get. And the fact that it is not that, and in fact is, well, Moriarty is attaching bombs to drones, that just kind of smacks me in the face with some kind of dissonance that I was not prepared for.
1: Right. It it feels like it's such a, like, they, they only went surface level with it. They were like, Kabuki-cho would be a cool place to have this story take place in, and that was the extent of it, versus you know, considering the fact that Sherlock Holmes is a very, like, historically placed figure, at least in in the books, like, he's very connected right, to the town yeah. that he lives in, et cetera, like, they could have translated that over to Kabukicho and see how that would affect his character, how it would affect the cases that they're involved in, so on, so forth, and it doesn't, and the fact that you can barely give Sherlock Holmes in this adaptation a personality, at least from what I've seen in terms of, like, Aside from him being quirky and him being reluctant to hang out with other people, like, there isn't a whole lot to work with that would make you want to be invested in this character, like Brandon said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, mind yeah. you, I have not seen a single episode of this show. God, don't. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, <laughs> one, that, yeah, I think you're probably right that I'm better off not. Um, and and two, itself. because I thought about doing research for this episode... But then I ended up <laughs> having to do other stuff and not research for this episode. <laughs> and you know how good I am at doing stuff. I'm very bad mm-hmm. at it. Um, but to me personally, um, it would have been very interesting if this yes. show had centered around the idea of, of a community, right? Because yeah. when I think about Kabuki Cho, a lot of it to me is, is both the, the idea of what a red light district is, in historical context But a lot of it to me is also kind of tied up In what makes a community, right? Like, if if, if a place is, is connected by people Who are essentially disdained by society, right? They provide mm-hmm. what, you know, you might consider A necessary service, um, you know A historical, important cultural context, whatever, right? But, like, to me, like, my touchstone For, like, Red Light District and Kabukicho Is you know, it's Yakuza and it's it's weirdly it's Gintama. Maybe That's exactly weirdly, what I was right? gonna say,
3: Gintama.
2: <laughs> those those two, you know, entities as like representative of, of that kind of idea of, of a red light district have a very strong sense of community and yeah. and ecosystem to them. And I think that legitimately there is something to be said about um, Sherlock Holmes as as a as a concept. Right, mm-hmm. um, as as an entity, and what it might have to say about community, mm-hmm.
1: right, and the fact like the... that it
2: doesn't <sighs> is painful. It's,
1: it is painful because in these other adaptations of uh, stories that take place in a Kabukicho esque area, the area itself is almost its own character. Like that's how,
3: right, how strong yeah. of an
1: impact it has on the story. And the fact that you don't really get that in this is, is kind of sad, because other stories have such a great respect for the culture of this, of kabuki of Kabukicho, that you, you see it. You see it in the story, and you see it in the characters, and, and how united they are, despite how different they all are.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Kabukicho Sherlock is bad for the Doyle <laughs> canon. It's bad for the area
2: of Kabukicho. <laughs> uh, it's just bad it's just it's just bad, you know uh it's, it's
1: just, just, just i bad. mean my my initial impression of it is that it's it's quite a mediocre show, and I don't think that it's like completely without merit, but I do think that it could have done a lot more for the sherlock Holmes world yeah. <laughs> like of adaptations It's one of those well, shows okay. that
0: asks interesting questions in the way that it doesn't actually ask any of them. It just says, you know, that would be an interesting question to have an answer to. And then it leaves. <laughs> ah, yes.
2: The cube.
3: The cube effect. The cube <laughs>
2: conundrum.
0: Oh god, what?
2: Okay, so... <laughs> Are we talking about the movie, Cube? No, no, no. We're talking about an anime called Sekai uh, which is also... Um, it, it is based on a novel by the same person who did uh, the original novel for the anime series Babylon. And we have, at this point, been spurned twice by this dude for having series with interesting premises that ask interesting questions that completely ignore those interesting questions to say, well, cool, uh, here's a bad guy and some lasers and murder, mm-hmm. I guess. And you're mm-hmm. like, wait, but the, like, everything else you just brought up in the first half is... Oh, okay. All right. So we call it getting cubed. <laughs> okay.
0: I never heard about this anime. I count
2: myself <laughs> glad. I'll take your. I'll take your word y- for it. Yeah, yeah. Take our blessings <laughs> and take our emote of the cube. <laughs> so let's move away then from
0: bad. To just mid and talk about <laughs> everybody's favorite Sherlock Holmes adaptation for whatever <laughs> goddamn accursed reason BBC Sherlock. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Everybody knows this Bumblebreed, Cumberbun. Oh. <laughs> and the guy who does all of the other things, um,
2: The Hobbit play- Man.
0: The Hobbit man uh, play Holmes and Watson respectively.
2: Martin just looking for
0: yes. <laughs> but uh, come Martin Freeman play Holmes and Watson respectively. In what if Holmes? What if just real pure Holmes? But twenty first century and everybody's bad. Um. Pretty and much. The, and the consequence is weird in ways that we don't need to describe to you. Because relative, uh, native of the internet, native of the internet, H bomber guy, already yep, did mm-hmm. the best possible video
2: about BBC Sherlock. One of I think the greatest video essays of yeah. all time. One of the like, it should win best docu. It should have won
0: best documentary Oscar the year that it came out. That's, That's
2: how that thing is fucking two hours long, and I was enraptured by every minute of it. <laughs>
0: Because it's not just bad because it's bad, even though it's bad because it's bad. It makes all of Mm -hmm. the worst possible assumptions you can make about a mid-Sherlock series, or really a mid-mystery series in general, which is proving that someone is intelligent is the act of having them do intricate stupidities freely and without uh, difficulty, while other Mm -hmm. people ask why they're doing it. They never explain why, and then the thing is solved. That's not productive. But it's also bad because Moffat is adult. And I'm glad that yes. somebody else yep. went through yep. the <laughs> entire process of telling us that Stephen Moffat is bad at doing things that are longer than 45 to 45 minutes to an hour at a time and should be trusted with mm-hmm. individual narratives and not the entire world building of an entire series worth of stakes. Because then he does things like Moriarty walks into a pool to kill Holmes and Watson, gives up. Leaves again to threaten- comes back inside to threaten them once more, then leaves again. Okay? Alright. Cool. Thank you, Moriarty, for the thing. Later. Goodbye? Cool. That's the show. Things like that happen constantly. And we don't need to go through all of that for you, because the video's already on YouTube. But... If we're still asking the adaptation question, then we ask it thusly about BBC Lock as well. What was it really trying to do? Was it just trying to be a mystery series? Because then it could have been anyone. Mm-hmm. Was it trying to do something? Was it trying to say something clever about Sherlock in the present day? Not necessarily, because nothing even about the cases that are adaptations of the of original Doyle stories really changed that much, except for the fact that Irene Adler is captured by Al-Qaeda. Which is a thing, yep. That was a thing. The fuck? If that's what you're trying to say, I don't want to hear anything you're trying to say. So yeah, like, what was it trying to do other than be flashy? And perhaps, really, when you think about it, partly the reason why I think BBC Sherlock is so frustrating to me is that it ultimately is trying to say very dangerous things about the nature of intelligence, not only applied... In Doyle's canon, but in general. That the ability yeah. of having and using knowledge is constantly constantly nebulous and fleeting in a way that makes real smart people seem like magicians and everybody else seem like dolts. Which is not how the actual stories work anyway. But also is really problematic in Holmes' case because it means very often knowing things is just a burden to Stephen Moffat. And he just wants to know that someone else knows things for him. Like it's Sherlock Holmes in BBC Sherlock is the story of comforting the world about whether people know things. Do you know things? No. (laughs) Trust that someone will. Do you want Mm -hmm. to know how? You don't need to. You just need to trust that they know. Nah,
2: I'm good. <laughs> I will. I will say this about BBC Sherlock, which is that at the time that I was watching it, as with most people, mm-hmm. it's very flashy and it catches your attention. Yeah. And I, I'm beginning to realize now, years later, that the only reason I remembered anything about it at all was because I was on Tumblr at the time. Tumblr <laughs> it pounded into my brain hole with such increasing regularity that I could not escape it. And I realized that now, years later, I remember almost nothing about it. <laughs> I legitimately could not tell you what happened in any of those episodes except for I don't know. Sherlock exists and Irene gets captured by all- al-qaeda because that's really fucking weird and that's all i could really tell you about it i will say this one
0: thing that potentially absolves it only from a fandom perspective which is (laughs) bbc lock is really glad that tumblr existed when it happened
2: oh yes
0: because if it weren't for fandom it would have died in a hole and no one would ever remember it but the single thing that fandom did to redeem it was give it to give it more faith than it deserved in literally one aspect, and that is the John Locke hypothesis. Yes,
2: yep. Mm-hmm. The
0: only thing that gives it any merit is the fact that fans eagerly still ascribed a queer reading to it, even when the text was vapidly lacking in any understanding about sexuality. Full stop. And were willing to breathe <laughs> that kind of life in it to the point where it was the reason why they were watching and not the show itself. That takes a lot of fandom <laughs> energy, you know? That takes a lot of fandom it's energy. To, per- <laughs> uh, to participate in the viewing of a product, to, to participate in the consumption of a product based on your dream of the show is a perpetual engine that could power the universe for decades. For lifetime. I mean, uh,
2: honestly, like, why are we even bothering with magical put, girls? Like, fuck two, it.
0: If you put two quarreling John John Locke, uh hypo, uh, hypothesis, uh fans in a hamster wheel in the core of the earth, you will live forever.
2: <laughs> Correct. And and, and, th- and this is an interesting thing to bring up, actually, about, um, the the role of Sherlock Holmes throughout, um, history as a received piece of media mm-hmm. which is to say that the reaction of of uh you know 2013 john Locke shippers is in very many ways the same kind of fervor with which the original stories were were consumed mm-hmm. Almost, like <laughs> like to the point where the the original creators sort of begin to disdain the existence of the thing itself, but they have to keep doing it because you know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like Doyle, who was writing, um, by the word serially in order to live. Mm-hmm. Um, historically hated the character when he killed him in the writing back in the writing back fall. Yeah, yeah, he was
2: ready. He yeah. was like, I'm
0: done. Yeah, why on earth am I still here? Mm-hmm. And then, like one of the first recorded instances of fandom revolt (laughs) was Holmes fans, perhaps the only dedicated fan base of anything in Doyle's canon ever, writing eagerly to resurrect a man who had fallen off a cliff. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, this is physically impossible, but I will give it to you. And that's how we got like another several years of uh, Holmes stories.
1: Beekeeper Holmes!
0: (laughs) Beekeeper
2: Holmes.
0: (laughs) And when you really think about it, in much the same way that the death of Superman killed the way that death is handled in mainstream uh, Cape comics, the death of Sherlock Mm -hmm. Holmes is the reason why a lot of the things that we ascribe to Holmes characteristically from Jump happens in adaptations as well. It's why we already acknowledge that he's a good fighter and a master of disguise without ever having to see it. It's why we accept several levels of his eccentricities without ever, like, asking any deep questions about what they do for understanding of him as a character. Because at that point, all of those stories still being canon, and for a lot of people being even more beloved, precisely because it's when they got Holmes back, Set some of those things in stone to the point where one of the primary assumptions we make about Holmes is if he's done something, just trust that it works because Holmes did it. Right. He never mm-hmm. explains to Watson how he survived falling off a cliff. He just tells you that he's been on the run from the rest of Moriarty's agents for months since this has taken place. Mm-hmm. Like, Why? i mean the answer to that question is because you don't survive falling off a cliff yes yep but that was the hole that his fans asked him to dig and he dug it because it ensured that he still made money engaging in the process that his fans had loved and i still kind Mm -hmm. of respect that because it's like one of the original instances of fandom interaction with uh 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 creator but at the same time right kind of have to ask yourself what does that do for the way that we understand this character now that it's in the public right. domain mm-hmm. and everybody is milking it yeah mm-hmm. so i guess that leads into multiple different directions and part of me wants to go directly into um the movies that people know the most yes
1: <laughs> well before but before i'm not we
0: sure if i want to even because <laughs> i love rdj and i love those movies those movies are actually really entertaining But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how I feel ultimately about those movies. You know what?
2: I think that's valid because I feel exactly the same. Like, I like Holmes in
0: it. I like Watson in it. I like their dynamic. I like that a lot of the core drama in the first movie is, Hi, I'm Sherlock Holmes. This is my boy, John Watson. If you love him, I will destroy you Uh, because he's only mine and I will literally ruin any other relationship that he's in so he can't really be mine. While Watson is at the corner squinting and saying, you know, I can fucking hear you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, I kind of love, but at the same time, too, those movies aren't incredibly complex. And I mean, they're just popcorn filler. Like at the end of the day they just exist Mm -hmm. to fill seats. And a lot of the things that they do are really interesting. Like we get to see Sherlock fight. And we get to see his fight process mentally. But like at the same time too, what did they ask? I think they're just popcorn filler.
2: See that that's the thing though is like I think you're right that they don't really have that much to them, even as like adaptations, um, beyond the kind of like line we can draw between the original source material and how it exists in the films, but at the same time, I have to say that I do respect that, mm. considering we have a host of other adaptations that don't exist really for seemingly any purpose at all, not even for entertainment. What? Let me you Uh, hm
0: Hmm? You sounded a little sick there. Do you need to be quarantined?
2: Uh, oh I'm, all right, God, I'm already dude. quarantined, uh, in here in my home, so... Don't know, need to worry about that.
0: I will take, I will take the one thing back and say the very first Sherlock movie is actually was it the first one? Was was the uh, first was one the one where they're, like the 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 big bad is a cultist who everybody think is actually immortal? <laughs> I think was that the first I one. Think I think like that, the- that um, I think so. I will yeah. say that that was actually very very good in that the thing that is it, it's essentially tackling is um it's posing the seemingly peculiar question of um how do we solve the seemingly unsolvable um seemingly arcane mysterious issue of mm-hmm. whether a man is literally being possessed by the devil right and watching sherlock go this is supposed to be easily resolvable but I'm hitting so many roadblocks. Right, yes, it's the very first one. 2009 Sherlock Holmes. Where everything is supposed to easily work out, and like this is not supposed to be a mystery that is too difficult to just resolve simply and without burden. Um, and we see what looks like him very rapidly falling into this weird slump of Why do I not understand what Blackwood is doing? Maybe he's really a wizard. Maybe (laughs) I really need to do wizard shit to solve this mystery. Wait,
3: nope.
0: Nope. He was actually being Sherlock the whole time. But the process of being Sherlock means he actually needs to put himself in the place of puzzles that are particularly difficult. And that meant he needed Mm -hmm. to perform being lost in this mystery in order to baffle other people into thinking that he had really given into superstition when really he was working the process through um, using a very peculiar, rugged, dangerous scientific method. And it had given him the answers ages ago. And everybody else just never asked him. (laughs) And it was just... uh, That was actually kind of interesting. But the way that it's executed is still... Basically, boilerplate, wild action movie, and it just looks good because it's Guy Ritchie directing Robert Downey Jr., which is pretty much. I mean, if you're gonna do anything, do that. I'd like that to happen often. I can, I can still give that energy. What I'd like to give even more energy is Miss Dente. Sherlock. Dente. <laughs> Have any of y'all seen Miss Sherlock? Nope. I thoroughly recommend it. If if it's possible, that you could stop <laughs> what you're doing right now, I mean. <laughs> All right, let's uh, stop the recording. Let's let's pause. Okay, so let me me describe this to you. In what year was this? In 2018 is actually how sudden this was. uh, HBO Asia and Hulu Japan produced an eight episode Sherlock Holmes adaptation starring Yuko Takeuchi as Sherlock. And it's brilliant. That's like, there's literally nothing else that I can tell you. Other than um, Yuko Takeuchi plays Sherlock, uh, Shihori Kanjiya plays Tachibana Wato, otherwise known as Wato san. Because, of course, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
0: in present day Tokyo, um, as Wato has just come back uh, to Japan after serving as a volunteer medic during the Syrian crisis. Um, and the very first thing that he, that that she encounters when she meets one of her medical mentors is that his chest explodes in the airport. And when the police ask, uh, bring her in for questioning, when, when the police bring her and that, uh, dead doctor's husband in for questioning, she meets Sherlock Futaba, uh, a very eccentric, very abrasive mildly uh overwhelming diminutive woman who asks very intense very uh overwhelmingly thoughtful questions while literally put- putting her face and hands right into people's personal space and it's just why is everything a lot with sherlock right now and what is was like I'm going to help you solve this case because this is my mentor and I want to see this through. Um, and that gets wild. And in the process of that wildness, uh, Wato is like, you know, I literally don't have a job. I have no attachments whatsoever in Tokyo right now. I might as well just tag along with this weirdness because at least I'll have a place to stay. And that's, it's that for eight episodes. And... Um, The weird thing about it is it does a lot of things in common with BBC Sherlock that I should otherwise hate. But the perspective changes for one reason. Can you guess why?
1: Because she whamming.
0: Yay. (laughs) 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 Everyone's perspective of Sherlock changes because she's a very smart, very pretty woman who is very spiteful and draws spite in turn. She's inconsiderate. (laughs) She's good mean, shit. she's spiteful, um, the only real person that she has any, like, emotional attachment to is her housekeeper, uh, because, of course, mm-hmm. the Tokyo Metro Police Inspector Gentara Raimon only lets her continue doing her work because she's very good at it, but hates her methods in part because... They're unnecessarily drawn out in ways that make it really easy for criminals to continue doing criminal shit for fun because Sherlock likes that shit. And it's just a process of seeing those things get very, very wild in ways that are actually, like, uh, like in, in abstract. On paper, a lot of these cases are just really a lot. But watching these two characters engage with them Because everybody else around them is going, why are these women purposely getting themselves involved in this mess? And why is that woman in particular really so nasty about it? Um, It's just a lot of fun to watch. (laughs) Fair enough. And, yeah, I mean, one of the other interesting things about it from the um, what does an adaptation do department that I find particularly interesting is that um, Watson as a character is usually uh, historically underdeveloped. Yes. In the original mm. Doyle canon, we just learn his medical um, bona fides. He uses them in a handful of stories, but otherwise he's just Sherlock's biographer. He's just the point of view character through which we encounter the story. Mm-hmm. Watto's story in Miss Sherlock, however, is that she just came from Syria in the 2010s as a volunteer medic. She's now in Tokyo with no other job and a lot of trauma. What do you do to resolve all of that trauma? I guess you get surrounded in murder, which everybody else associates with. Uh, Maybe you should be doing something more healthy, not only because Sherlock is an inconsiderate person who you could just be free of in general, but because you probably deserve better than being surrounded in all of this conflict. But putting herself in the space of that conflict... Not only asks interesting questions about asks interesting questions about the trauma of being a medic in the 2010s in mm-hmm. especially in that kind of space and that kind of circumstance when we meet Wato, but when we discover very challenging things about uh her uh psychiatrist, that becomes even weirder spoiler plot twist her psychiatrist is actually a serial killer. Of course. Oh. Yep. Well, a serial hypnotist with mm-hmm. a bond full of murderers who are about to commit multiple um terrorist attacks and has only taken Watto simply so Watto could kill Sherlock. Ah. And that's how we get our Rikenback fall. And it's actually very interesting because the drama in that moment is Sherlock doesn't get tied up because she's afraid of what Watto will do. Or because the process of uh, solving that final case with this death cult called Stella Maris involves having to deal specifically with Watto. It's because she has developed an intense fondness for Watto during their cases and wants to specifically save her. Which leads to her Mm -hmm. literally meeting Watto and her psychiatrist... Um, whose name totally escapes me right now. Right, uh, Mariko. They all they're on this roof. Watto is prepared to shoot Sherlock dead and dead in between the eyes. Sherlock eagerly tries to talk her out of it, and the entire time, Mariko is going, "No, she will never stop." Um, I have brainwashed her so well that the only thing that will ever get her to listen to anyone ever again is when either of us are finally dead. And then Sherlock just, like, very meekly, while while Watto still has a pistol trained on her forehead, goes, like, very wistfully, talks about how much she appreciates that they spent time together and that she hopes that um, Watto will be happy when this is all over. And then tackles Mariko and jumps off the building.
1: (laughs) Wow. It's
0: not about Sherlock. It's not about the case. It's actually about Watto. That's why it happened and that's brilliant like we have actual feelings now we have developed an actual uh, committed emotional relationship and the process of seeing that story therefore go from why is this woman joining this other woman in doing a- unwomanly work go to the process of this unwomanly work has led to a woman giving her life for the closest woman in her life for someone that she's only known for months, the only person that she's developed an emotional relationship at that point, is actually kind of deep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I challenge you. I challenge you to find <laughs> anywhere in the West that somebody else is ever going to do that shit with men.
2: I was gonna say. I think that weirdly enough, some of the best adaptations of Sherlock Holmes come out of Japan specifically, and I think that a large part of it is that. You're right that Sherlock Holmes is a character that is so often adapted in the western canon. But I think to the to the point and to the reverence and deference given to the original character that the original author didn't even fucking have for for the fucking character, right? Right. I think in a lot of ways it really holds back what people are willing to do. And that is a reverence that Japan only kind of nominally has. Like, okay, yeah. Well, Sherlock Holmes is like kind of a cool, a cool thing, but we're gonna treat him about the same way that we treat the concept of Norse mythology, which is to say, we're gonna make anime waifus out of them and put them in our Gacha games. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which uh-huh. a whole other discussion about about that, but like, I do think that that um, when it comes to talking about adaptations of of Sherlock Holmes specifically, there is something to be considered about. Um, you know, like you said, like what does what does this adaptation have to say, or what is it doing that the original is is not, or what is it doing that the original is doing? And I mm-hmm. think when you look at the original Sherlock Holmes um, kind of series, it is a series of disjointed one-off cases that are connected by the characters, but in a sense, they aren't really connected by the characters so much as the same characters inhabit each of them but like a you know like a sort of traditional western cartoon that the start and end state is 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 the same we're always returning to this um to this kind of like mid like this like nothing really changes that much aside from you know the, the one time that Sherlock died but you know he came back he lived but like when you when you think about it right you have you have a mystery story and the fun of a mystery story is well i don't i don't know what the mystery is like what's the twist right mm-hmm. and after that you you find a different kind of enjoyment out of that but i think that when you're adapting sherlock holmes especially like nowadays right it's you you kind of do have to do something different because like well there's all kinds of mysteries and probably ones that are you know better written and it's more interesting to us now as an audience that has that kind of you know media literacy and that historical literacy of of sherlock holmes as a character that we're mm-hmm. more interested in questions of of the characters of of sherlock holmes and and of watson and everybody else that is kind of like like they don't really matter in in the original canon like they right. do but they don't right. and the kind of interesting thing to me always about the transformative nature of of adaptation and of works that build upon you know um especially stuff like uh you know like the like the the open domain stuff like like most of the interesting stuff to me is always kind of this like well now we can think about like what what does it mean to to be that character or what what does it mean for that character to exist in in more of a modern psychological space, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that that at least one adaptation has done so. Um, weirdly, I think that one of the kind of derivatives of because uh, when I think about like video games, right, um, of of Sherlock Holmes, weirdly, a lot of them aren't like like they're very, they're just like mystery like mystery games like they're kind yeah. of generic mystery fair.
1: Right. Like, from what I've seen of the Sherlock Holmes games, especially by Frogwares, is that originally they were highly influenced by the original source material and also the really old dramas of Sherlock.
2: Right. Like the yeah. really, really old <laughs> ones. Yeah.
1: Um, And then BBC Lot came out. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then that changed a lot. And then the movies came out, and then that changed them a lot, too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they became more action mystery s- games um one thing that i do like that came out of bbc lock is uh each of the mysteries you are able to see the clues through sherlock's eyes and so it visually tells you by showing text on the screen and they've then translated that into game mechanics so mm-hmm. if you've ever played la noir that also has like a bbc lock <laughs> vibe to it because of how they you know very clearly demonstrate clues to you through the eyes of the detective. Um, But yeah, it's because of the need for it to be, you know, a game and not necessarily a drama, there is that big, uh, I guess, emphasis on the mystery itself and also... Nowadays, the action, because of the movie's influence. Well, um, I,
2: I, I do think, and this is, this is kind of credit to gaming as, as an art form, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that there's something to be said about giving you the reins over, over the character and being able to essentially see something filtered through someone's lens. But really, you're still doing a lot of the interpretation and a lot oh, of yeah. putting and, it together. Uh,
1: right, and in, in the most recent games, you're allowed to be wrong. Yeah. They'll let you just be wrong and convict the wrong person and they'll keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because they leave it to you to, to tie all the clues together and come to your own conclusion about them. Like, one of the things
0: that I like a lot, and I like that you tied L.A. Noir to the Frogwares uh, Homes games, is that mm-hmm. um, the ability to access information is very mm-hmm. easy, but the real yes. work of the game is how you interpret it. Like in mm-hmm. in in the Holmes games, you could look you can essentially just turn on what is es- what is essentially Assassin's Creed Eagle Vision and the game will just <laughs> tell you where clues are. You will just right. walk straight up to clues. Clues are free. Clues like rain. Clues will just pour upon you from like mana from the heavens. And then you will have all of the clues and Sherlock will kind of like turn to the camera and go, I have all of the information necessary. And then <laughs> <laughs> you are now putting the infam- You are now putting the like infamously tense situation. Wait, Sherlock is not going to be the person who does the do that shit in this moment, right? I have to. Yeah, and if I do it badly, <laughs> I will do the one thing that's never supposed to happen in this entire franchise. I will mm-hmm. turn Sherlock Holmes into a dunce.
1: Do I want to do that? <laughs> Not the I will convict the wrong person and get no, them no, killed. No, nah. no, I will make, I will make I will Sherlock make...
2: Holmes a dummy. Fuck
0: those people, yeah. <laughs> because the interesting thing about those games is the games automatically assume Sherlock Holmes is never wrong. So you are put in the situation right. where the stakes are always. It, it's not just I'm making a decision that may change someone else, change someone else's life uh, for the worst forever. But the fact <laughs> that I will do it and people will let me because of who I am, and that means who I am is important and significant, and I need to take this yeah. shit seriously. Yeah. And that's why when you go into... I, the on, One of the only f- few Mind Palace examples in any form of media that I actually enjoy is Frogwares' um, mental link system between clues and deductions yeah, yeah. in... Uh, Sherlock's brain, where every piece of information and every assumption that can possibly be made in this in the case that you're presently in literally appears neurons. hmm And you just, I have one idea. I have another idea. Ugh. Third idea. And now you have to settle on the fact that you've made this deduction. You cannot undo this deduction. If this deduction is wrong, every other deduction that you're about to make based on it will also be wrong but we've begun down this path and you have to continue. And you'll just have to accept what happens next. Because everybody else will because you're Sherlock fucking Holmes. And that (laughs) that makes asking and answering questions so tense. I've played part of one of the Frogwares games and I was saves coming with ease because I didn't <laughs> want to ask a question that i didn't want to I didn't want to simply even ask a question that would lead me Brandon O'Brien, to make an assumption that Sherlock Holmes wouldn't, <laughs> so I was passing through saves like just if I didn't have them, I would have like lost my mind in this game because the stakes of having this kind of deductive capacity are incredibly high. yeah. And the world treats it the way that we treat Sherlock Holmes as a character. Massively flippantly. And you have to take the responsibility <laughs> that no one else will. Because you're the person who mm-hmm. told them that you know who
2: did it. And they believe
1: yeah. you. Yeah. That's a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is a lot. <laughs> Would you like to hear my hot take? Yeah. Ace Attorney is a good Sherlock Holmes game.
1: Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this,
1: that's my hot take.
0: Uh, the thing that the thing that absolutely baffles me about Phoenix Wright is <laughs> Phoenix Wright as a premise is is interesting because it puts us in this situation where there is like from like a world perspective, and we don't think about it a lot, but. The Phoenix Wright games put us in this very precarious position where we know the last decision that will ever be made about this crime is being made in this room, which is Mm -hmm. almost the same kind of tension as you are Sherlock Holmes, because if you can't convince a judge of who's innocent and guilty, then somebody who does not need to suffer will continue to suffer and it will be your fault, either because you were wrong in your assessment of the evidence. Or because you were right and convinced no one. And that's that's yeah. also a lot. And the yes. fact <laughs> and <laughs> the fact that the the fact that the game itself responds to that by going, well, instead of doing it the real legal way of oh, you are a lawyer, this is your case, let's just give you all this lore dump uh as discovery, and you just have to deal with it. <laughs> um Phoenix is put in actual proximity with everybody that is uh vital in this case in this universe mm-hmm. lawyers are also for whatever strange illegal reason <laughs> detectives
3: <laughs> yeah they're yes, the investigators
0: yeah. and that's actually interesting because it means that the only information that you are privy to is information that you are information from clues that you went out and got and the only person making any deductive reason then it's it, any deductive assumption about this case is you. You don't have a police officer to lean on, you don't have uh, another prosecutor Gumsho. to lean on. It's just you. Computer <laughs> <Gumsho> doesn't count.
1: <laughs> he's he's moral support mostly. Exactly,
2: <laughs> and that's. I mean, listen,
1: it's <laughs> it's just. I I think. <laughs>
2: You know, like the thing about the, the games though, uh, is, is like you mentioned with, uh, with the Frogware games, um, there is definitely a flow of deduction that happens. And the fact that mm-hmm. you don't get all the evidence at once, that there's updates to the case and new mm-hmm. information and fucking plot twists, where it's just like, okay, well, turns out not poison, murder with knife. Mm-hmm. like <laughs> <But, laughs> usually it's the other way around. In the uh, Phoenix Wright
0: in the Phoenix Wright games, there is a way that that happens that I actually find uh, the most interesting in any mystery video game in particular, and it works precisely because we're in a courtroom when it happens, which is mm-hmm. days. The end of a court day is often punctuated by the last person on the stand revealing a new question that needs to be asked. Which means that you need to reevaluate the evidence that you already have and gain more mm-hmm. evidence. And nothing about the case itself has suddenly changed. It's not like somebody else died or something like that. It's just somebody went on the stand and said something you didn't know anything about. You called recess and now you need to reevaluate what you already know. Which is actually really cool because yeah. it means that you're aware of the game is aware of the fact that the only thing that re- that can recontextualize evidence at this point is witnesses, and Mm -hmm. it gives the witnesses the opportunity on this, like, railroaded path of narrative to punctuate a case between days by revealing new information about pieces of evidence that you already have, and making you have to go back to the place where you got it, or find somebody else to ask something about it.
2: And those things are really cool. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed
0: my hot take. (laughs) It's a good take. Yes, it's a good take. I enjoyed that take a lot. Thank you.
2: Yum. (laughs) (laughs) I gifted (laughs) this a pun to you.
0: Speaking of hot takes. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) So I'm about to talk about my absolute favorite Sherlock adaptation of all time, which is also my favorite Mm -hmm. mystery series of all time. Mm -hmm. And it is Elementary. (laughs) Uh, Elementary, uh, for those who are unaware, is perhaps the longest running serialized Sherlock adaptation that has ever occurred. Um, It is at this point, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock Holmes in elementary is the longest portrayal of Holmes in television or film ever up to this point. Mm. And it is the most interesting version of the Sherlock Holmes canon ever. Because of its immediate, like, because of all of the changes in perspective that happen when you make just a, a small series of tweaks to the narrative, which is mm. essentially Sherlock Holmes, who was at this point already a good detective, is also a drug addict. And after uh, just coming out of rehab in New York City, uh, meets his sober companion, which is the condition under which his father tells him he can even live in one of his father's houses in New York. And that's when we meet Joan Watson, played by Lucy Liu, who has just, like, quit the official medical profession for reasons that have not been stated yet, plot twist, um, potential medical malfeasance, and has now decided to be a sober companion. So her only job is to make sure that Sherlock Holmes does not do drugs. That's why she's here. She's not a detective. She doesn't care about being a detective. She doesn't care about this detective shit. She doesn't want to see a dead body. She's kind of frustrated that the very first day that she's on one of her very first sober companion cases since leaving medical practice, she has to meet a man at a a crime scene and witness a dead body. Mm -hmm. And she just has to Mm -hmm. accept the fact that Sherlock is attempting to rekindle his relationship with the uh, NYPD in order to do work because he believes that his work will help his sobriety, which he fundamentally appreciates, even though why do you need to chase dead bodies in order to stop doing drugs? Right. <laughs> and all of those individual things consistently um recontextualize the narrative in ways that are not overt but obviously change the way that the narrative progresses. It's interesting Mm -hmm. that Watson is a woman, because it means that her perspective is consistently shaped by patriarchy, yes, but is also shaped by the fact that she was, up until recently, an actual practicing doctor who is now doing something that other people think is beneath her past duty. And she's Mm -hmm. in the presence of somebody that everybody thinks is an asshole. Everybody thinks that she should doubly just go back to medicine. Mm -hmm. But Holmes, even more interestingly, becomes even more complicated because we take a fundamental part of the Doyle canon, which is Holmes love them drugs, and actually view it the way that we would view it in a 21st century context, which is this is actually problematic and it changes your life for the worse, regardless of what you think. And Sherlock actually knows this and is engaged in the process of actually wrestling with this constantly. And then things get even weirder. One of the things that I love the most about Elementary is a thing that Elementary itself is never overt about, even though it deals with it consistently for the entirety of its seven season run. One of the things that we, one of the things that Watson tries to force out of Holmes very early in the series is, what are the things that pushed you to do drugs? And he never wants to have those conversations. And then, after making a trip to his rehab clinic without his uh, prior permission, uh, Watson notices a stack of letters that Sherlock received from a woman named Irene Adler. Cause of course, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: and the story is Sherlock Holmes was always Sherlock Holmes, and while on a case in London. He meets a very attractive, very inspiring young woman named Irene Adler from the States who is just presently in London on business, but she never says what. They have a whirlwind love affair and then she is murdered. The attempt to solve her murder troubles Sherlock's love-addled psyche so much that he resorts to drugs thinking that it will help his deductive process and as a result gets addicted. And as a result, he thinks that like part of his process at this point is he needs to functionally move on from this and just get buried in work. And the reason why Watson keeps pushing is maybe you need to deal with something else in order to get to the bottom Mm -hmm. of your sobriety. Mm -hmm. But we're going to continue enduring this detective business because it at at least is giving you something to keep busy with. It is the reason that conversation is partly the reason why Watson actually decides later in that season to pivot from being a sober companion to being a detective full time. And then Sherlock discovers that the serial killer who killed Irene is in New York and becomes immediately Mm -hmm. fixated. It almost leads him to relapse, but he doesn't. It almost leads him to attempt to kill that assassin, Sebastian Moran, because of course, But he Mm -hmm. doesn't. Instead, he just seriously maims the man and makes sure that he gets arrested. Discovering Moran leads to the discovery of Moriarty's business in New York. Because, of course. Mm -hmm. And he decides then that he needs to avenge the death of Irene by destroying Moriarty's network. Mm -hmm. In fact, he deduces as a result that Irene was only murdered because uh, he believes that Moriarty killed her in the attempt that her death would trouble him so much that he would leave moriarty alone Mm -hmm. that becomes a source of conflict obviously because watson is like getting back on this train of thought may cause you to relapse is this what you really want he's like yeah i'm gonna fucking kill moriarty with my bare hands even, and then i'll be free um that leads to a lot of very wild occurrences like Almost being assassinated by a man whose entire MO is staging all of his assassinations like accidents, which leads to the very bellissimo quote of Sherlock very eagerly saying to a hive of bees nestled under a hole in a tree. An army of bee assassins.
1: Oh
0: my god. Um... Late in that season, he thinks that he's met Moriarty and Moriarty immediately gets assassinated just to prove a point. Mm -hmm. He deduces as a result that 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 man was not Moriarty in the first place. Mm -hmm. More investigations lead to Moriarty literally giving Sherlock a case, knowing that his involvement will lead to him attempting to solve that case in a way that will be not natively beneficial to Moriarty. A thing that he does not notice until he solves it. And then, as a reward for solving it, Moriarty gives him the direction to an abandoned house on the other side of Brooklyn, where he meets Irene Adler. Severely tired. <gasps> severely tired. Seemingly severely injured. Fully disoriented. Irene confesses that she's been kidnapped she had been kidnapped by a man for several months slash years. Has not seen the outside world in the longest of whiles. But she's back and Sherlock is like, well, the love of my life is back. That means I never have to be involved in anything ever again. Watson is like, aren't you at all curious about the fact that Moriarty just gave you your woman back after you said that you were going to destroy Moriarty forever for taking Irene from you? It's like, nah, because Irene's back. I'm done. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, a falling out with one of Moriarty's lieutenants um, leads to said lieutenant deciding, you know what? Fuck Moriarty's rules. I'm just going to kill Sherlock because I want Sherlock dead. Mm-hmm. So Sherlock, Sherlock <laughs> is ambushed in his home by this guy. Gets shot in the gut, flips a table, needs to hide behind the table in order to not die. While ducking and nursing his wounds, he hears two shots fire from the door, and lifts his head to see Irene Adler in a black coat with a pistol in her hand.
1: Bam, bam, bam.
0: And makes the immediate deduction. Wait. There's only one way that this could be the case. You were Moriarty the whole time. How could I be so stupid? And all of this should be dumb, right? Um, but because it happens, the story makes this very interesting turn in my head. It stops being about drugs. It stops being about whether... Sherlock was just a weak-willed person who would have always given given into heroin dependency at some point in his life. It Starts being a story about abuse. The minute that we learn this, the thing that puts that into context is the realization, therefore, that every decision that Moriarty made in order to affect the life of a man who loves her was to gaslight him four years Mm -hmm. and she's now about to literally kill him and then changes her mind and goes you know what I'm going to let you know that I'm going to continue committing crimes right now because I want you to know that you can't stop and if you try you will get hurt badly but I want you to not try because I love you what the fuck (laughs) and Watson is like nah we're not taking that shit we're gonna fix this we're gonna get to the bottom of this 100% and I'm going to help you because that's what I'm here to do it's because of Watson in fact that that ever like that case ever gets solved like the big emotional cracks of that episode is that Moriarty walks into uh, the hospital bed where Sherlock is apparently laying dying about to confess that If he hadn't intervened, he wouldn't have been so severely injured in the first place. And Sherlock is just like, yeah, no, I'm not actually hurt at all. I'm just pretending to be hurt. Just so you could come here, so Watson could tell you that Watson got you now. That's fucking dope. (laughs) And (laughs) Because so many things change as a result when when you view the story from that lens. Yeah. The perspective of a character who has consistently been considered uh, been considered misanthropic changes twice. He was once in love and now hates people because that love went wrong, and has now regained his faith in people, cause somebody who he is not that he has no romantic feelings for, gives mm-hmm. uh, gives of herself for him consistently without expecting anything in return and that warms his heart to other people in this story over the course of seven seasons. Sherlock has mm-hmm. friends, my guys. <gasps> <gasps>
3: mm, friends! <laughs>
0: Sherlock hangs out. Sherlock goes for drinks with people that he does not have romantic feelings for. He also fucks a lot, but... <laughs> that part he does whether he has any uh, real emotional attachments or not. He cheats it like... Uh, our workout—it's actually kind of funny in the context of the story. Um, oh
1: my god!
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure elementary hints very often at him being bisexual, but I'm upset that they never actually really develop it because, of course, prime time television, <laughs> CBS. Um, of course, of course. But the context of abuse also makes it very intriguing as well, because several seasons are dedicated to the fact that now that Sherlock knows this even though he never fully comes to terms with it he goes out of his way often to try to engage the process of therapy and recovery for other people who are surviving abuse he literally ensures mm. that uh the suspect in a murder investigation gains free therapy and if i recall correctly in that episode also uh, like has an easier time in foster care after discovering that part of that case involves that man's abuse, that young man's Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. After a falling out in season two leads to him moving back to London. When he comes back to New York, he brings another detective protege with him, a young woman named Kitty Winter, who we learn in episode three of that season was kidnapped and sexually tortured by a man before fleeing and has only taught her the, the skills of being a detective in the hopes that that process will be a form of recovery for her as it as his process has been a form of sobriety for him even though mm-hmm. she's only being a de- she only decides to be a detective because she wants to find that man and kill him mm-hmm. and the process of wrestling with that at the end of the season when that man dis- when they discover that that man is also in new york becomes So emotionally tense by the time that it's resolved, that it becomes like really obvious to us that Sherlock knows what he's doing and how he feels about these things. But also, Mm -hmm. the show goes out of its way at that point because now we have a character who we can be observably honest about their abuse. Kitty constantly has cases where abuse is the crux of that narrative, and she's put in a position to leverage the beginning processes of her own recovery for other people and it's the discovery that her attacker is in new york that causes her to backslide and causes sherlock to point out that this is what a relapse looks like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's this there's this moment in that season that i find so interesting because the the big plot twist is that because of the long falling out that led to Sherlock leaving London in the first place. Watson is considering making her own detective practice private and not working with Sherlock again. Mm-hmm. And when she... Dis- and they discover for, uh, after that that the boss that she is about to work for after that is the person that attacked Kitty.
2: Damn. Whoa.
0: And when... She comes to Sherlock to discuss, like, how lost and confused she feels after, like, realizing that she was about to work for a sociopath. Sherlock turns to her and essentially says, I'm heavily paraphrasing, you know what, you now know what it feels like to have been in the experience of being taken in by somebody who seems um, nice and thoughtful and good, but was a sociopath the whole time. Join the club. Mm -hmm. And while I'm so mad that I wish the show would just be overt about the fact that we are witnessing a man come to terms with being a male survivor of emotional and physical violence and trying to leverage his own processes of recovery for other people, I'm still so glad that Mm -hmm. it happened in the first place and that it's happening Mm -hmm. in homes.
1: That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You would never expect. (laughs)
0: It's like... Even if you don't know these things, it's also just very good, because from the case of the weak perspective of a typical procedural or a typical Holmes um, story, one of the things that Elementary does very well is, there are no embellishments placed on how Sherlock Holmes knows or proves that he knows things. There are moments when he will obviously admit that the only way that he will gain information about a case is if he asks an actual expert. He has mm-hmm. experts in multiple mm-hmm. fields dedicated to those things. He has expert mathematicians. He has a friend from London called the Nose who he only calls to smell things for him mm-hmm. there they meet a hacker collective called Everyone in season two um who he leans on very regularly to solve tech cased tech based problems, but the only way that everyone interacts with him is uh because the conditions under which they met were attempting to solve a crime by blaming it on everyone every time he asks everyone for a favor, they ask him to do something embarrassing as payment for that favor <laughs> so like the fact that he asks questions and is willing to admit there are things that he don't does not know is all already very interesting, because so it means that The ways in which we learn things are either somebody who is already established as eminent in the field of that thing will tell us, we learn while he learns through the process of asking pertinent questions of those people, or the act of discovery is literally like the way in which we enter gaining another clue about the case. So it's not Sherlock knows everything and it's just godlike about every fact. He's godlike about a lot of facts, unnecessarily. But the fact that he's willing to ask other people questions is very interesting. Also, uh, a very peculiar consequence of how some of those cases are written is that often we know exactly how something happened and who did it. And then the case becomes, how does Sherlock prove it? Because we're still dealing with Like, actually making sure that this man can be prosecuted for a crime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't. There is a case in Season 3 where a man is murdered and Sherlock literally admits, I know who did it. I know how he did it. But I can't prove it. So it will just... Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. And even more interestingly is sometimes Sherlock will find himself in that situation and will resolve that by literally doing something illegal. Uh-huh. Like, there are of, oftentimes he will be in that exact same predicament and he will either attempt to blackmail someone into confessing or he will attempt to frame them for a completely different crime just so they can be punished. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. his character fundamentally is, like, very distinctly from even the original Doyle canon where Sherlock is often simply motivated by whether a case is titillating or not. In elementary, Mm -hmm. he's still often very, like, eager to just engage in that case because it's interesting. Mm -hmm. But whenever it involves the suffering of others, his, like, primary mode is, regardless of whether it's titillating or not, it is important to make sure that people who cause harm to others do not continue to roam free. Even if it means I need to cause harm to others to ensure that that stops, (laughs) which is a lot. Yeah. Mm. It's 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 very intense, but I like it a great deal because he doesn't because he also doesn't do it primarily because he cares about people because even even in season one where he's often uh, like a very burdensome misanthrope he still has that uh, very strong idealism about him, but he doesn't do it primarily because it's important for him to prove that he can solve those cases because he cares about the plight of the innocent. He does it simply because. He strongly believes that from a like a pers- some perspective of justice that only he has, it is important that people who cause harm to others face consequences for the causing of that for the harm that they cause.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: For it doesn't give a fuck about the people who actually suffer, but he does give a fuck about that. And seeing that evolve as a result as he learns more about his own trauma becomes very, very engaging from a character perspective. He goes from right. caring nothing about people to caring about people abstractly to caring about people personally. Yeah. yeah. Sherlock Holmes, the character that we often like viscerally attach no love or care whatsoever to. Or where he does love or care anybody, it's very peculiarly like Holmes and Watson, the RDJ Guy Ritchie movies, or Holmes and Watson in BBC Locke are very peculiar relationships. But in elementary, they give Holmes the ability to actually care for people. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that a great deal because, especially like if we're going to attach ourselves to Holmes as a character, if Holmes is like such a powerful mental image, such a strong, undefeatable being as a character reinforcing in the audience that somebody like Sherlock Holmes can still develop relationships says a lot about how that story values the ability to care for others in general. Right. We're telling mm-hmm. the audience, essentially, uh, valuing your relationships with other people is really important, not only for your own mental health, but for the security of your community. And I, I, I in a world where every other police procedural that is on, on the air is about Police officers kicking down doors and arresting black and brown people and punishing them forever. I kind of like that,
1: right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, what's what's interesting is that from the way you're describing it, uh, a lot of it sounds peculiarly like not like a Western narrative, if you know what I mean. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I suppose I should amend my earlier statement now that now that we have talked about Elementary and we've kind of gone through the, the whole twist of it. Save for elementary, I think Japan has some of the most interesting adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, but like really, what we're talking about and when save we for talk Kabuki about... kill
0: Sherlock <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> right save for yes,
2: the exception proves the rule, of course <laughs> yes um and mm-hmm. what's interesting is that you know like what we're talking about when we when we approach sherlock's character from from this perspective is. Ultimately, like, you know, the narrative of somebody who is very individualistic becoming someone who cares about other people and who essentially becomes more part of a collective, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that's a a general trend. I'm not going to tread specifically because I haven't watched any of it. Um, but I tend to find that a lot of, and this is something that we talked about, um, briefly with Adam last time that he was on the podcast, where, um, the, uh, sort of main narrative of, of Shokugeki no Soma, Food Wars, is, would be colored very differently if it was told from, um, from a Western perspective. Um, (laughs) it would be colored more by the individualism of, of the main character and less about, that main character's relationships with the people around him. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to me personally.
1: Yeah, I especially in Sherlock Holmes adaptations there's just there's inevitably going to be a really strong emphasis on sh- how different Sherlock Holmes is compared right. to yeah. the rest of the community and I feel like a lot of adaptations therefore thrive on that. And so the fact that this show takes a swing in the other direction like well yeah he's different and he knows it but we're going to show like how deeply we can go in terms of how his relationships with other people
2: i i think the thing about this though that speaks to me personally um is that it seems that the show does a lot of work to demystify sherlock as a character
1: yeah it even uh so i mentioned before we started recording that i only managed to watch the pilot. Um, but even from the just the pilot alone, you get the sense that this is a very different take on Sherlock because he's pretty upfront with how he feels, which is not often the case with the Sherlock adaptation. Generally Sherlock is kind of emotionless mm-hmm. until he gets fixated on a case, in which case he gets, you know, excited, he gets frustrated, whatever, whatever. But otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's almost like a robot and that's like uh what BBC Lock text likes to Ye- emphasize yeah. until his friendship with Watson deepens. But right. uh, this uh, elementary's version of Sherlock, like, he readily admits that he's embarrassed, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, or that he wasn't able to handle a certain situation, and that's why he needed Jones' help. Um, so I do think that that's interesting. I do think that part of that lends to the fact that he, they developed watson so much as a character to the point that she can stand on equal footing Mm -hmm. with holmes and it doesn't feel like uh, like there's just this lack of like the that um power mismatch that's always been present in sherlock adaptations that i wasn't able to sense nearly as much in elementary that i think is really pivotal to to just the overall narrative um and
0: to speak more to that Um, there are two, two, there are two things that I care a lot about, uh, about, uh, Sherlock Holmes as a character in elementary, um, when it, when it comes to that lack of, uh, uneven power dynamic in that world, which is, again, the fact that, um, his bluntness is not unnecessary rudeness, but, uh, an overwhelming propensity to admit how he feels at every moment in time right which which the story fundamentally characterizes as a process of his recovery Mm -hmm. yeah that he is in the state of constant um awareness of his own feelings because he's constantly being aware of what he needs to do to not relapse and that leads to him just being blunt all the time even about Seemingly unnecessary emotional states that he's presently in that are not necessarily everybody else's business. Um, and in later seasons that as his struggle with his own sobriety gets more challenging, that actually manifests as him actually admitting to Joan several times that either as a result of uh his, um heroin abuse or as a result of a mental disorder that he has been aware of since he was a child he's constantly aware of how other people feel all the time just the same as he's aware of other details about people regularly and constantly feels like he needs to overtly state his own feelings in order to mitigate the fact that other people are mystified by him
3: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: which is kind of heartbreaking when you think about it because in those later seasons it eventually makes it seem as as if his deductive capacity is actually burdensome and he's only interested in these cases because it's an opportunity to kind of ease his brain of constant thought which he admits is part of the reason why he was doing drugs in the first place. It was an opportunity to turn his brain off. And then he right. realized that that was a bad way to do so. And is stuck now with the question of, does that mean that he's not supposed to turn his brain off? Or does that mean that there's another way to turn your brain off? And what is it? Why is no one telling it? And uh, in addition to that when it comes to power dynamics in the show, one of the things that I find most interesting is that Elementary does something that does not put it aside from the Doyle canon, but is actually the way that Sherlock behaves in the original short stories and uh, books, which is Sherlock is actually the first to admit how his process works. He's very eager to teach. Oh, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, his entire character revolves around the fact that he's like the one of the few first people to invent forensic science or at least is trying to popularize it yeah. in the in the books so like
0: whereas <laughs> in other adaptations um the processes like the the characterization of sherlock is that he's the only person who knows or can know these things and he has no patience for people who are trying to learn right in episode 1 we literally see him have a conversation with captain gregson and the detective that they write out to the pilot very swiftly, whose name totally escapes me as a result. Um uh. <laughs>
2: I mean seven seasons.
0: Uh, <laughs> you no, know, like we never see that guy again. That detective lasts right. two episodes, Max. Um uh. uh but like in the process of finding that dead body, he talks about the process that he did of his deduction as if right. He's explained as as if he's gone through his methods with everyone in this room before, and trusts that they can engage with him, and is very eagerly frustrated when they don't.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in later seasons, he literally gets severely attached to the idea that there are, uh, police officers that he trusts because even if they are not as capable as him. He trusts their, capac- their capacity to be capable. And as a result, believes mm. right, just yeah. the fact that they can be capable is the reason they deserve every, po- every police accolade they could possibly get.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. that's nice.
0: <laughs> like he literally signs up for, um, one of his, um, Closer detectives in the 12th Precinct. Detective Bell, the officer that we will eventually meet far more often in the series. He signs up for the guy to get drafted by the U.S. Marshals behind his back because he thinks he deserves a promotion. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just because he knows that he has the capacity to be mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. astute as Sherlock himself is. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. In another show, he'd just not care. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is that I it, it is it, the the idea of Sherlock as a character who is more interested in the case and the thrill and the mystery than really anything else is is interesting to me. But I think there's only so many times you can play that, and I think it has been at this point thoroughly overplayed. Uh, yeah, and this might obviously be colored by my personal tastes in, in media and, and Brandon, I know that I know yours very specifically (laughs) um, because we've had very long conversations about them, but like our kind of approach to stuff has always been, you know, we're very drawn to things that put people forward and relationships forward. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this series is willing to do that in like, so clearly and so uh, explicitly and for so long is, is honestly a little impressive. Yeah. Seven seasons, folks. Seven seasons? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Seven, seasons, tw- seven seasons.
0: Seven seasons. 24, 24 episodes. That piece, except for the final uh, season, which goes up to 15
2: or 17. Seven seasons on American television. Yeah. And your name isn't Breaking Bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I have so many feelings about the finale that, like, a part of me just wants to tell you, like, just watch the whole thing. Just watch the whole thing. <laughs> watch the whole thing. We're all we're on all the global quarantine. You have no excuse to... I mean, yeah, to was, I was
2: gonna say, it's it's not like we have anything else like to do. like 150
0: episodes, but you have nothing to do. Just do the thing. I will literally make a list of the best episodes that you should possibly watch. It's still over 100, but... <laughs> it's like i right, have so well, many feelings about the show oh my god mm.
2: <laughs> well <clears throat> uh before this episode gets to be three hours long uh <laughs> we should probably we should probably wrap up do you have any closing thoughts
0: Wha- watch elementary watch kamen rider <laughs> love your but don't do drugs
2: good yeah. good
0: shit
1: Uh oh, a good moral <laughs> for the kids <laughs> how about you ready <laughs> Me, um uh it was kind of magically fantastical that um Soup brought Brandon and I together to talk about Sherlock with the pure coincidence of not knowing that I also really like Sherlock adaptations. So
2: yeah, the this, fact this that is I got to learn to me. more.
1: Yeah, uh, I got to learn about more of them thanks to Brandon is, it is, is awesome. So
2: it it is interestingly a a very different dynamic, uh that I that uh than is usually like on the podcast, I yes. will say um, <laughs> because normally I'm the one who's very, very hyper fixated on one specific thing that I forced you to talk about with me. <laughs> so you know Hi. what? It was it was First nice to get to talk. You to to y'all you. talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I have been quarantined with you all. <laughs>
1: uh...
2: <laughs> I see. I see. Um, yeah, no, yeah, um,
1: yeah. I think it's awesome that Sherlock adaptations are not dead and they can still be uh viewed from a new angle and that's awesome because i love me a good old mystery and a good old uh, holmes boy learning to relationship
0: yeah (laughs) although at this point i do feel like they can die now and we could do something else could do more i mean if you've reached uh, the
1: penultimate my version of it then i i understand (laughs) there is an
0: entire website full of just a list of characters that are presently in the public domain that we can just freely explore. We have oh, not yeah, We have not done August DuPont yet. Dracula?
1: <gasps> yeah. Like,
0: it's just reams of characters that we still haven't done yet. Like, the world is your oyster, my guys. Let's do the thing. That's true. Folks, let's look for something that has not been done yet and just
2: do it. That's true. You have the power to make a difference in the world. You can be the rare pair shipper that you've always wanted to be.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs> yep. Um, my closing thoughts are cool. Uh, Make a gay one.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah, please. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, honestly, that's, that's I, like I, the last thing disagree. on my
0: checklist.
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll finally have Sherlock Bingo. It'll be great. Okay. <laughs> um, and we can finally once once we have one, we can finally put BBC Sherlock where where it belongs. At the bottom rest. of a quarry? At the bottom of a quarry.
1: But what if they come out with another season and it is actual John Locke? I, I <laughs> highly, highly <laughs>
2: doubt that, but you never know. Sometimes sometimes you think it's over and then they're like, we'll be Reichenbach. No, no! <laughs> so, no! <laughs> Don't ever do that again.
0: <laughs> These poor people that you just subjected to that.
2: I'm,
1: I'm a little stunned at how like, smoothly you went into that. <laughs> you were saving I've that been s- whole evening.
2: I have been saving that joke for the last oh hour God. and a half. I'm like, where do, oh do I shove God, this in dude. to the podcast? Jesus. I know there's a spot. I just need it. Okay.
1: Oh, my God.
2: All right. Well. Thank you so much, uh, for coming on, Brandon. Uh I always love getting yeah. the chance to talk to you. I always love picking your brain. You have some of my favorite things to say about most things.
0: <laughs> Thank you for having me here just so I can quarrel
2: about Sherlock Holmes. No, it was great, it was great. So why don't you uh why don't you let us know who you are, uh what you're up to, where we can find you on the internet and otherwise. God, what am I not up to? Um, hi everybody. Oh, geez, Jesus I'm... God, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brandon O'Brien.
0: I am a science fiction and fantasy writer, uh, speculative poet, performance poet, uh game designer. Um whoa, whoa. I'm the co-host of a podcast called Righteous Kicks, uh, where me and my friend Iori Kusano uh geek out about men in spandex bodysuits who kick evildoers to death in abandoned quarries until they explode. Um oh, yeah.
1: heck yeah.
0: Uh that's describing Kamen Rider, by the way. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> oh, oh no, I thought that was oh, just my Sunday not my day.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish. God I wish. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Rising Tides. Um the podcast is presently on hiatus, but we'll be back with a vengeance very soon. So y'all will have folks y'all have stuff to listen to during our in- international quarantine. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I'm also the poetry editor of a magazine called Fire, a magazine of black speculative fiction, um, which is currently uh, in its third, if I recall correctly, its third year of production. Um, nice. Hmm. So if if you can get your if you can get your hands on one of those copies, I would really love it. If you could continue supporting the uh, writing and reading of science fiction and fantasy by Uh, Black writers, uh, all of which is dope and definitely deserves more support in this space. And yeah, I have some stuff on the
2: internet that you can read whenever you want. Very cool. (laughs) Cool. Well, how about you, Renu?
1: Me! I'm Renu. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Tumblr, Twitch, all at swandron. You can find me on Instagram at swandron.com. Uh huge majority of my events have been cancelled, so I've been I dealing bet. with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh it's been a really unpleasant week for me. <laughs> um but hopefully I'll this things will calm down and I'll be back towards the end of summer with other uh conventions and whatnot. But um I guess until then I'll be on the internet with the rest of you.
2: <laughs> Trapped together. <laughs> We together. fall. <laughs> and when we fall, we all fall together. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. What about you, Soupy? <laughs> 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 you can find me all the places on the internet at literal soup. Uh, you know what I'm up to, which is to say this and that here and there. Doing things like editing a three hour long podcast episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. And not doing writing when i should be doing it and streaming video games when i should be doing the writing that i'm not doing um Mm -hmm. yes but that's that's just how it is uh it's it's been a very like strange strange uh i'm gonna say month because suddenly it's not even my fault that i don't have a job and (laughs) that's weird really all of society is fake and at fault so you know i was right <laughs> um yeah 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 uh you know what i do i will yep. i will continue doing that for the foreseeable future and uh and yeah i mean check check it out check it out
1: all right, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. What's happening you? here? What's this? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the the confirmation ritual. All right. Let's go over our stuff. Our opening is by Scotty Network, and our ending is by Takuma Akata. And the patrons we are thanking this week are Frostfall, Cheru, Sean, Claire. Figure 4, Magpie Mirror Test, and Gwen. Thank you all so much Thank for your support. You. Um, this, is, this is the second episode that will be edited on, on Reaper, which is to say we are free from the clutches of Adobe edition, which I think means we're actually like almost breaking even, if not breaking even, on the podcast upkeep costs, yeah, which is super, super exciting for me personally, as someone who doesn't have <laughs> to pay out of pocket for the podcast.
3: <laughs> Alrighty then.
2: Yeah, it, it really do be like that. Um, it do? So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Thanks, Brandon, for being here with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank
0: you for having me.
2: Did you know that you're one of my favorite people? <laughs> oh, God.
0: You're one of my, oh, well. you're one of my
2: favorite people, sir. Thank you.
3: Aww.
2: <laughs> well, then, we will... Uh... Boing.
0: né